Hello and welcome to episode 162 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Ryan. <laughs> I'm Manny Manuel. Manny, possibly the largest change in quality from week <laughs> to week in the history of our podcast. I don't know how you could get much bigger change in quality. Last week we talked about the Razzie winner, Color of Night, which uh, won't spoil it for you if you haven't listened to the episode, but lower qu- lower quality movie. It's an understatement, yeah. Lo- bit lower tier movie. Uh, and this week we're talking about a movie that was nominated for Best Picture, um, and more importantly, is your second favorite movie of all time, is that right? Number two. Yeah. Number two, The Shawshank Redemption. How do you feel right now? I'm, I'm pretty excited. It's funny, th- though, as I was uh, eagerly anticipating tonight, while I'm very, I am very excited to talk about this movie, I was more excited to talk about Back to the Future. Yeah. I think it's because Back to the Future is a lot more fun, mm. and there's kind of more things to have fun with about the discussion here. This movie's just fucking brilliant. So it's kind of just going to kind of be a love fest with, in all honesty, I don't think a lot of, like, humor. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you're probably right. If you're using Back to the Future as the comparison, uh, I think that is a movie that lends itself a little bit more to discussion and a little bit more to, like, growing out, in air quotes, yeah. about it. Uh, just because we get to laugh and, like, repeat all the funny moments and all that stuff. Shawshank is not regardless of what your personal opinion is and regardless of what anyone's personal opinion is about Shawshank, I don't consider it a fun movie. It is not a movie that like, like I have fun watching it because I like film, but it's not, uh, it's, it doesn't have a lot of levity in it. At least, uh, not nearly as much as back to the future. If that's the baseline. Yeah. Well, that's obvious. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) This, yeah, this movie definitely isn't fun. And but I love watching it. I have fun watching it, just yeah. not in this, not nearly in the same way. I was just kind of looking at the of my other top twenty, and kind of in all honesty, I'm looking at the whole list. In the top ten, I think Shawshank's the least fun movie in my top ten. That's probably true. Like even like I even hate to say this, like what like. Saving Private Ryan's still fun with the action and mm, everything. Like yeah. it's still fun and there's a there's a lot of like very subtle hu- well not even subtle humor, but there's some humor. Like the scene where they're talk where uh they're just marching and they talk about how uh yeah, like, which shit way rolls downhill. Go, yeah, yeah, gripes go up. Yeah, gripes <laughs> go up. And like that's amusing and, and there's some some great there, there's not a lot of really funny moments in Shawshank now that we kind of mentioned it but but, but it, on the flip side of that if you look at your top 10 is there maybe Saving Private Ryan rivals it but other than that is there a movie as emotional as Shawshank Redemption number 10 number 10 is <laughs> Endgame oh yeah <laughs> but that's yeah there's a couple moments at the i was gonna say that's just the ending but honestly there's several moments yeah that, especially towards the end that are that even are that the emotional. opening scene hawkeye's family yeah 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 that's true yeah yeah there's a lot of emotional scenes in that movie <clears throat> but yes um that doesn't mean this film like that we're already fucking talking about it because <laughs> we want to so bad but like 
I can watch this. I can pick up this movie at any point and just sit down and be entertained. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it's not a it's not a fun movie, but it's engrossing. It is, and I I mean we we're already kind of getting into this a little <laughs> bit, so I'll, I'll skip forward after this. But one of the first notes that I wrote when I was sort of uh, condensing the the notes that I took uh, roughly during the movie is that. Uh, this is one of those movies where the barrier between screen and audience kind of dissolves. Like I, I, fi- I find it very difficult to take notes during the movie just because it has a way of just drawing you in. You feel like you're in the movie and uh, that doesn't often happen with us. We've been doing this for 162 episodes now. I feel like we're pretty good about uh, being analytical and being uh, objective but also inserting our personal opinion into things but Mm -hmm. there were moments in the movie where i realized like oh i haven't written anything in like half an hour (laughs) 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 because i'm just so so invested in it you know yeah Yeah. anyway uh we'll uh, we'll get more into that in a little bit uh but manny uh can you please shamelessly plug uh, the other sources other than this podcast where people can keep up with us if they uh, wish. They can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. They can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Whatever. Let's just leave it there. Yeah. You can reach us. I feel like places. I'm tripping over that now recently. I'm getting old, I guess. Doing Okay. I guess so. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the last like two or three weeks I've tripped over that part. Maybe I need to write it down. Yeah, maybe. Whatever. <laughs> um, oh, shit. Manny, uh, yeah. we have obviously been watching lots this week, as we normally do, but uh, what about your daughter, Maya? What's, what's she been up to? Well, uh, why don't we uh, start up Maya's movie moment and find out? Good idea. Hello, and welcome to Maya's movie moment. I am Manny Manuel, and... I am Maya. How are you doing, sweetheart? Good. Good, okay. So, we watched a new movie today. Yes. Do you remember what it's called? No. Luca. Ah, uh, Luca. Okay. So, we just watched Luca. Is it still... Is Did it beat Sailor Moon as your favorite movie? No, not even close. Not... It didn't e- even beat... Beat the Wish Dragon. Didn't even beat the Wish Dragon. Okay. Well, we did talk about Wish Dragon last time, and Sailor Moon's still your favorite, so we're going to talk about Luca today. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. But, uh, um, and, and, and after I've been talking about um, Luca, can I talk about Sailor Moon? Because I got a new favorite character. Of course. So we'll, we'll talk about Luca first, and then we'll talk a little bit about Sailor Moon again? Yeah, because I got a new favorite character. Okay, sounds great. All right. So who is your favorite character? In Luca. Luca. Luca was? I think Alberto was my favorite character. Alberto and all of them were. You liked all of them? But okay. I mostly like Julia. Actually, also, you like Julia as well? Yeah. I also like the cat, too. Yeah, I liked when the cat was like... Yeah, he was pretty funny. I like when he jumped on his face and almost fell in. When they were on the boat? Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah. So what was your favorite part of the movie? Was when, um, uh, what's the two fish people's name again? Alberto and Luca. When Alberto and Luca, Luca, I can't say that. Um, when they were, um, sleeping on that, in the, and then they woke up and there was rain on the leaves and, and they woke up and then, and then, um, uh, what's the name? Alberto and Luca. Um, and Luca woke up and then looked at Alberto and went, Ack! 
and then they woke up and almost and fell off the tree. It was that was my favorite. That was your favorite part? Because it was funny. My favorite part was at the end when Alberto. No, that's a spoiler. I won't say my favorite part. Okay. Um. Because that's a good part. That is a good part. Okay, so we both really enjoyed Luca. Yeah. But Sailor Moon is still your favorite movie. Yeah. Okay, what did you want to talk about Sailor Moon? My new favorite is Sailor Jupiter. Sailor Jupiter is now your favorite person? Yes. Okay. Oh, and um, I have, an, I have this is my most favorite, Sailor Mars. Sailor Mars. Oh, I meant to say Sailor uh, I meant to say Sailor Jupiter. Say, Sailor Jupiter is your favorite character in the Sailor Moon movie? Yeah. Okay. I Technically all of them, but my most is Sailor Mars. Okay. You just said Sailor Jupiter was. Yeah, they're both my most favorite. So Sailor Mars and Sailor Jupiter are your favorites? Yes. Okay. All right. And uh, we'll check in one more time. What's your favorite snack to eat while watching a movie? Granny's, Granny's cake. Granny's cake that she made was pretty. Uh-huh. pretty I had that five times. You did have it quite a few times, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Pretty delicious. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't really taste. It doesn't really taste like banana bread. It tastes better than it actually. It tastes better than banana bread. Yeah. Well, Granny will be happy to hear that. Probably. Do you know that Granny listens? No. She listens to the podcast just so she can hear you. Oh. Do you want to say something to Granny? Hi, Granny. Okay, there we go. Uh, did you want to say anything else before we end up here? Um, yes. What would you like? Any dad's happy Father's Day. Oh, that was really sweet of you, sweetheart. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, are we, should we say our goodbye? Yeah, bye. Adios. There we go. I melted. <laughs> <laughs> that happy Father's Day was so unexpected. She she always if, if no if you're listening and you haven't heard that segment before, Maya usually will close it out with like I like candy or I like peanuts or something like that. So I was already typing out I, like I'm always typing up notes as that's going along. I had already typed in I like and was just waiting for the line and she said Happy Father's Day. I know that I was really sweet. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> How was your Father's Day, by the way? I don't know if we talked about that. We actually didn't. It was it was actually pretty amazing. Uh, I cried. Yeah. Um, Maya made uh, made me uh, some gifts, and I can share them with you. She made me this heart here. Um, it is missing a piece, but she Aww. says it's like a cookie, and she took a bite out of it. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> um, she did make me this little this other little ceramic um, thing, but it's out there. Yeah. Then she made me this. Which melted my heart. Okay. She gave me a message in a bottle. Manny is holding up a, a little vial, probably inch and a half, two inches yep. high. And there's a little, it looks like a scroll inside of there it is. of some kind. And <laughs> in, on that scroll, when you unroll it, it says, I love my dad. Oh my God, that's so cute. Yeah. And there's a, <laughs> like, there's a cork in the top of it. And then yes. r- uh, right to your left was a, a combined gift from Julie and Maya. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, so there's a bunch of pictures of my daughter throughout her her, her academic years, all two of them, or three of them, preschool, kindergarten, and grade one. So those are all the pictures, and then the pictures, her newborn pictures are in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the center of it, um, Julie didn't know what to put in there, and she's like, well, I'll just get Maya to write her name. So Maya wrote her name, and uh, yeah, I just got to hang it up. 
That's so nice. Yeah. That's such a sweet gift. And then they also got, like, I was spoiled. <laughs> they also got me a pack of Jube Jubes, and they got me a gift certificate for Cineplex. They know you. They do. They Is do. Jube Jubes your, uh, your candy of choice? It's or sweet. a candy of choice. It yeah, it's to- top three. Yeah, yeah. Jujubes and Jelly Bellies hmm. would be at the top, and I'm a big fan of. Uh, number one is Toffees. Mm. Yeah, okay. I I go insane for those. Hmm. It's 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 an ugly sight if there are some near me. Um, yeah. So yeah, I had a great Father's Day. That's yes. good. Yes. And uh sounds like sounds like Maya did as well. Yes. Um I gotta say, Manny, yeah. this whole Sailor Jupiter, Sailor Mars I thing know. is uh this has been a this has been a saga. It's been yeah. a fiasco. This started two weeks ago when you watched Sailor Moon. I I, oh, I haven't watched or, it. Or, oh yeah, right, when uh, when she watched Sailor Moon, excuse yeah. me. And I I had the note at the time <laughs> that Sailor Jupiter was her favorite character, and I I've considered the the case closed. <laughs> I considered the matter done with, Manny. But she threw me for a loop last week and she said she named sailor moon sailor mars and the pegasus all three yeah. as her favorite character last week yeah and then she uh she pulled a 180 again and now she's back on sailor jupiter and sailor mars yeah she's very indecisive <clears throat> i think i'm gonna have to watch these movies yeah <laughs> to see but um that now that now makes sailor moon the longest reigning champion yeah that's three <laughs> three straight weeks. In your daughter's entire life, has she ever had a movie be her favorite for three weeks? Yes. Yes. Sadly, uh, she won't watch it with me anymore. But for a very long time, very long time, Singing in the Rain was number one. Mm. Yeah, that's too bad. I, I, I remember when uh, when that was her favorite movie. I know. Back before you were doing the segment. Yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm I know that if I get her to watch it again, I know that she'll like it. I don't know if I can get it to to knock Sailor Moon off. I was I won't lie. I was kind of hoping that Luca would mm. knock it off its perch, but uh, not not to be, not to be. Hmm. Yeah, and I uh, res- much respect you. You knew I would be listening to the segment, and you you <laughs> stopped her from spoiling the movie, or you, or I don't know. You're holding yourself back from stopping. No, the I, movie. I my favorite part of the movie is the ending, and I just I was like, I better not say anything. Yeah, respect uh, respect that because you know I'll be I'll be watching that. Is that uh, like premiere access on nope. Disney Plus? Or? Nope. It's just, it's just on there. It's just good to go. Good to go. Well, shit. Maybe I should be watching that. Is that a, that's considered the twenty-one release, right? Oh yeah. Okay. I should, I should probably be giving that a go. Um, what else did I say? Oh, I also just have this note. Uh, my apologies to the headphone users listening to the show because that scream. Yeah. From, <laughs> from Maya. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But, yeah, the headphone users uh, didn't like that one. I bet. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, Sorry about okay. that. That's yeah, okay. <laughs> But yeah, another another excellent segment uh, over and done with. Um, so uh, what what else have you uh, been watching this week? Well, why don't I just I jump right into Luca since that's mm-hmm. what we were just talking about. Sure. Uh, so I watched Luca, uh, Pixar's latest release. Um, hmm. Well, Luca. Well, I guess I can uh, the plot. Um, uh, on the Italian Riviera, an unlikely but strong friendship grows between a human being and a sea monster disguised as a human. I didn't know. I didn't even know the plot of Luca going into it. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know it was about sea monsters. I hadn't seen any images. I went in 100% blind. All I knew was that this was Pixar's latest movie, so my expectations were sky high. 
Luca's probably going to be in my bottom 10 Pixar. I think it's just because it just didn't resonate with me. And I didn't find it... I didn't find it emotionally engaging. And I didn't find it very funny. It was just kind of a good movie. Now, again, a bad Pixar movie is still better than most people's best. That's not what she said about The Good Dinosaur. Yeah, but The Good Dinosaur is their worst movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, haven't s- I haven't seen Cars 2, but most people say Cars 2 is the worst Pixar movie. Your pick is Good Dinosaur? Yeah. Okay. Maybe I need to rewatch Cars 2. Or maybe not. Um, The animation in Luca is obviously astounding. But it it just didn't re- it just didn't resonate with me. The the movie is it's fine is the best way I can describe it. I'm but I appear to be in the vast minority, and by vast I mean about three other podcasts I listened to raved about it, saying and one of the hosts of the podcast I listened to, uh, which I don't mind shouting out, it's called the Slash Filmcast. It's one of my favorites. Uh, one of the hosts on there put it in his top three. Top three Pixar, Pixar. movies? Yep. That's high praise. Yeah. There's, there's some good Pixar movies out and there. And his top three, if you want to know, in he didn't put them in order, but his top three are Inside Out, Toy Story 3, and Luca. Those are his top three. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a solid... I obviously haven't seen Luca yet, mm-hmm. but the other two are solid picks. So... I will be interested to see your thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I def it's it's fucking it's fucking Pixar. So of course I'm going to recommend it for people. I think everybody should watch it and see how much they like it. It it just didn't work for me. I was I was entertained. I I will probably revisit this to see if maybe it'll grow on me, but. There's, uh, it's, it's, for me, it's bottom tier Pixar. And in my opinion, Pixar is coming off a really strong entry in Soul. Mm-hmm. Pixar is coming off a, a, not a home run, but a damn good movie in, I, in Soul. I really want to revisit Soul. Yeah. But I have so many movies I need to watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, Neither of us have the time for that. Yeah. So, Luca, I gave it three out of five. Okay. Next up, I continued my chipping away at my 1994 film. So the first one I'm going to talk about is the action-adventure sci-fi film Stargate. An interstellar teleportation device found in Egypt leads to a planet with humans resembling ancient Egyptians who worship the god Ra. This stars Kurt Russell and James Spader. This movie was supposed to be a big, massive, probably franchise-building blockbuster. I remember seeing it back then and thinking it was okay. I was interested in re-watching this. I think I probably revisit this movie probably once every five to ten years. So I need to knock this off. And uh, Sam, this movie's bad. Bad. It's bad. It's a bad movie. Um, it it uh, it does star a very young 
and probably very early in his career, and at the time was only going by his first name, much like Cher and Sting. Uh, but I think the proper pronunciation of, of his name is Jaiman. Is Jaiman? that right? Jaiman Hounsou? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he is listed in the credits on the film just as Jaiman. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. He uh, he plays Horace. He does play Horace. Hmm. Um, this movie is not not good. And while the the plot and the idea of the movie is fantastic, as it did spin off a massively well, I shouldn't say massively a very popular TV series. Uh, Stargate SV1 or something like that. SG1, I, I think. SG1, yeah. yeah. Which I heard was like entertaining and stuff like that. Uh, this movie is it's, it's rough. It's r- 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 rough. Um, I found myself pretty bored. At times, it kind of dives a little bit too much into some childish humor. It has some poor casting decisions, but maybe based on my own predilection towards those actors, and they're in very small roles, so it's not like it ruined the movie. But do you know the actor French Stewart? I just scrolled to him, yeah. And you know what? I don't really know French Stewart. Okay. Uh, he was on Third Rock, right? Yeah. And um, <laughs> I think the main reason I know him now is because Jimmy Fallon imitates him, famously imitates him in uh, the Celebrity Jeopardy sketch. Mm. Isn't, isn't that right? Oh, yes. The old school Celebrity Jeopardy where Will Ferrell is Alex Trebek. Okay. Yeah. So his character in in Third Rock is is very fun and very entertaining. Okay. But he is trying to play like this badass special ops guy, like complete badass. And he didn't work out at all for the role. So he's still this scrawny guy who's supposed to be this military badass. And it comes across – poorly um french stewart's imdb page the known for section third rock from the sun obviously stargate inspector gadget 2 clock stoppers it's not not Ouch. great it's not Ouch. great uh yeah so stargate in in all honesty this movie isn't so bad it's good it's just bad mm-hmm. um yeah I, I didn't enjoy it but there's uh, the idea behind the movie is really fucking cool, and there are some f- entertaining moments in it, so it gets a two out of five for me. Um, not exactly gonna help you out on the French Stewart front, but uh, he had a recurring role in the TV series Secrets and Lies. Yeah, but it's not based off the film, isn't it? No. Oh, I thought it was. No. <laughs> no. No. That's awesome. <laughs> Um. Next up, I watched uh, a movie that I originally hadn't planned on revisiting for 1994, but it was on sale on iTunes for five bucks. So I was like, oh, fuck, I'll buy it. I remember thinking it was okay. It was the same price to buy it as to rent it, so I'm like, I might as well buy it. Uh, and that's the uh, adventure crime thriller, The River Wild, um, starring Meryl Streep, Kevin Bacon, and David Strathairn. That's a A-grade cast right there. Yeah. Uh, rafting expert Gale takes on a pair of armed killers while navigating a spectacularly violent river. Also in this movie, a very young, obviously, John C. Riley. 
It's funny going back to the 90s and 2000s. John C. Riley was just randomly in a bunch of shit. And he's mm. always a delightful surprise, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Mazzello, obviously, as a, a very young, um, very young, the, the young boy in the movie. Uh, I remember seeing this back uh, probably in 95, like when it hit home video, and thinking, I'm like, oh, that was all right. Revisiting this, this movie's good. This movie's fun. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you this right now. In this movie, Meryl Streep, she's fucking hot. She is, as you said, like this is a powerhouse cast for a, like this kind of like action adventure, crime thriller movie as they river raft down this river. Um, she is completely believable, and that shouldn't come as any surprise because we're talking about Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. But if you think about like what we're used to seeing Meryl Streep in nowadays. Her is like this action hero. She's not like Linda Hamilton in T2 or like Ripley in Aliens, yeah. but she's completely believable as this former river rafting guide who knows how to do this. And David Strathairn plays her husband who is from the city and they're just here on this like vacation. And he's completely out of his element and he's great. And Kevin Bacon plays the villain. John C. Riley and Kevin Bacon are the villains. And this movie's a lot of fun. In all honesty, Sam, if you're looking for a fun movie to watch, th- I would I would watch The River Wild. It was completely entertaining. I had a great time. The river rafting scenes are really well shot. This, this director is Curtis Hansen. You would remember him as the director of L.A. Confidential. I would remember that, yes. And 8 Mile. Oh, right on. Yeah. Uh, Curtis Hansen is a, is a director I thoroughly enjoy. He has another film called The Wonder Boys that I really like. Uh, it's a it's kind of an, uh, an underappreciated gem. But I had a really great time watching The River Wild. And, yeah, uh, River Wild, 3 out of 5, completely entertaining. And, spoiler this right now could maybe crack my top 10 of 94. That is a surprise. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I, it's going to be on the short list to make that list. Like I had a really fun time with it. Mm -hmm. Completely entertaining. Great way to spend, uh, just under two hours. It's only an hour 51. Yeah. River wild. You want something easy, light and fun. Check it out. I think you'd like it. Cool. And last, and who knows if it's least, I decided to check out a film from last year that I can't remember what podcast I was listening to. It talked about it, raved about it. Uh, I saw it was on Crave, so I decided to check it out because it was an hour 40. Uh, and that's The Kid Detective. Uh, it is a comedy drama mystery. Uh, the plot, a once celebrated kid detective, now 32, continues to solve the same trivial mysteries between hangovers and bouts of self-pity until a naive client brings him his first adult case to find out who brutally murdered her boyfriend. Uh, this stars uh, Adam Brody and an actress I've never seen before named Caitlin Chalmers Rosado. Her uh, known for section has this and uh, a movie in 2018 called Little Lights. Okay, never heard of it. Yeah, that's it. Um, I don't have a lot of experience or attachment to Adam Brody. So I didn't have any 
real preconceived notions about this film. The idea behind the movie is kind of fun, but the movie's having a hard time with its tone. It is both trying to be a comedy and a film noir. And the score and the way they talk is completely reminiscent of film noir films. Film noir films. Uh, But a lot of the things that happen in the movie are very comedic. So I was having a hard time trying to figure out what this movie's trying to do. I don't... Do you have an attachment to Adam Brody? Like, is uh, not at all. I'm oh, okay. Looking at his Wikipedia page right now, trying to figure out where I would even know him from. Okay. Or his IMDb rather. Um. Then, as the movie moves along, and you and your head are trying to solve this mystery along with him, and you meet all the characters in the movie and try to figure out. Obviously, you've met which one has done it. You just got to figure out who it is. Um. Right near the end, the movie takes a very, very serious twist. And all of a sudden, it became something I was really into. But it's only like the last 10 minutes of the film. And I found myself liking this more at the end of it than I did about halfway through. So I did give The Kid Detective 3 out of 5. I think it's definitely worth checking out. Maybe, like, if there's Adam Brody fans out there, like, I don't know what he's known for. Um, so he m- must be famous for something? Yeah, when I... Uh, TV show? Yeah, the OC. Ah, uh, okay. The OC appears to be what he's... In his IMDb, is known for section as the OC, Jennifer's Body, Ready or Not, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Okay, well, I remember Mr. and Mrs. Smith, but he has, like, a minuscule role. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the OC, so maybe, I'm sure in the OC he was probably, like, acting, but he was probably just playing a hyperized version of himself, I guess. I, I have no idea. So if you, l- I-, I hate to say he has a shtick, but maybe he's playing off of what makes him popular from the OC in this movie. I have no idea. I did not find him charming. He didn't win me over, but I wasn't disinterested in him either. But again, the ending made this movie worth watching. And the premise was really cool, and the way they set it up is really fun. Um, I can tell you right now, I I think this is a movie... Sam, I think this is a movie that you probably would like. I don't know if it would get like a four from you, but I think you'd probably give it a three. I think you'd be entertained. All right. Uh, so yeah, Kid Detective, it is on Crave, um, if everybody has Crave. Kid Detective, 3 out of 5, you know, give it a chance if you want to try something different. That's everything I've been watching. Man, it's a, it's a lukewarm week for you, unfortunately. It always, I'm always I'm always rooting for you to get those 4s and 5s in and enjoy I, your movie watching experience. I did watch a 5, no, fi- well I watched well, I watched a 5 movie this week, but mm-hmm. I, I decided not to include it in here. I see. <clears throat> Because uh, it's it's a movie, well, we'll be reviewing in about two years, um, <laughs> roughly. Um, okay. Yeah, it's just, it would, I don't think it's a movie that you and I want to sit and talk about 
for five minutes. I think it's a movie we want to talk about for an extended period of time. All right. Full reveal. It. It's good, fellas. Yeah, we're going to need some time for yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen Goodfellas. Yeah. That's what I've been watching. Okay. Sam, you've been, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you got to return to the movie theater. Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess we both kind of did. So we are coming to you, uh, dear listener, from late June 2021 on what is hopefully the tail end of the uh, the coronavirus pandemic that has been sweeping well, I was going to say sweeping the nation, but really taking over the world. Yeah. Um, so we here in BC just got the go-ahead to reopen theaters. So Manny and I uh, both made our triumphant return to the theaters separately. We should really go see a movie together sometime. Fuck yeah. Can you believe that we have been friends for, what, four or five years uh, and doing this podcast for three of those? We've never actually sat down and watched a movie together. I know. Not one time. Not, not in any context. No. So we need to go ahead and do that. Actually, speaking of which... Uh... Uh, anyways, okay, never mind. <laughs> we're we're going to have some stuff to discuss on, on that note. Yeah, we, ha- we have a, a little mini break in the middle of this mini-series we're doing. Oh, do we? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> for uh, a movie coming up that's going to hit theaters, I thought maybe we'd want to go see that one together. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just saying. We, we'll, uh, we'll talk it over when we're, when we're done here. Just but saying. Nonetheless, uh, the movie we were referring to that, uh, that I got to go see was A Quiet Place Part 2. Following the events at home, the Abbott family now face the terrors of the outside world. Forced to venture into the unknown, they realize the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats lurking beyond the sand pit. Uh, this movie has a 71 meta score. I really enjoyed the first Quiet Place movie. If memory serves, I think it was my fourth favorite movie of 2018. Uh, I unfortunately did not get a chance to rewatch the first one before going to see the second. So I, did I. I felt like I was going in a little bit hazy mm-hmm. on some of the specifics, which mm-hmm. really sucks. I really wanted to get a chance to watch it again. I couldn't find it really on anything. It's not on anything. Yeah, which is like kind of... I don't know. I feel like it should be on something by the time the sequel comes out. But, I agree. But regardless, I, I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. Um, but my expectation, I guess, with The Quiet Place Part 2, um, I knew that John Krasinski was returning to direct. I knew that uh, I think the only real change to the writing staff is that whereas John Krasinski was one of many writers on the first one, I think he's sort of the head guy on this one. Makes sense. That's sort of my ex- my understanding. So really... Most of the main cast is returning. Uh, Emily Blunt, Millicent Simmons, Killian Murphy. Uh, Killian Murphy, really the only new addition to the cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is somebody that I think you and I both really enjoy, yeah. uh, especially uh, for his roles in a lot of Nolan films. He, he's a guy that whenever he pops up, I always enjoy watching him. I never really watched Peaky Blinders, but I'm told he's really good in that uh, for people who are fans of that series. Um the movie makes a decision to focus primarily on, uh, I think her name is Regan or Reagan. I don't know if we hear, hear her name spoken out loud, but it's R-E-G-A-N. Uh, that's Millicent Simmons' character. That's the daughter. Yep. Um, so the movie makes a decision to focus on her a lot more, and I think it's better for it. She really is the most interesting character in this universe. By far. Uh, and the movie is smart to follow her for the majority of the movie. Unfortunately, what we find, in my opinion, is that uh, the characters... uh, Let me see if I can find their names. Um, 
I can't even. What's oh uh, Marcus? Marcus is the is the brother, mm. uh, played by Noah Jupe, who's a, a young actor who I really enjoy. Um, the character Marcus and Emily Blunt's character Evelyn are they both kind of suffer because of it. In my opinion, they are kind of left in a role of sitting and waiting for about half hour of the movie. Yep. Uh, they, Which is one third of the movie. They're kind of sidelined for, yeah, you, like you said, it's what, an hour 37, this movie? Yeah. It's a short one. You sideline for a pretty good chunk of it, especially towards the end. Um, so the pacing does kind of suffer in that regards. That being said, if you liked the first movie, you'll probably like this one. I know I certainly did. I... Like I said, I was going in a little bit rusty on the first, but it slowly started to come back to me why I enjoyed A Quiet Place so much. It's that feeling of, this is going to sound negative as I say it, but I promise it's a positive. The feeling of, Manny, are you having some problems with your mic over there? A little bit. <laughs> it's okay, we got it figured. Um, the feeling of constant anxiety that A Quiet Place uh, manages to convey to its audience and manages to elicit out of its audience members i feel constantly anxious through both of the quiet place movies uh john krasinski in the director's chair in his first and now second efforts is doing a really really good job at building tension a uh, really good job of using sound uh to create tension in these movies really good job of using sound or the lack thereof to put us in uh regan's headspace mm -hmm. um there's a scene in an abandoned i think it's an abandoned train early yep. on in the movie yep. which is really really good the effective use of sound in that scene uh, i really liked um, i'm not much of a horror guy generally nor are you i don't think but this series is one that i'm gonna continue to return to i think um okay. like i said if you there think there's gonna be more there's not i i'm asking oh i mean the ending of the movie led me to believe that there would be a third hmm. I, I have no idea if there's going if there's even a third in development right now or anything like that but that's, just, no sort, idea. that's just sort of my expectation regardless uh millicent simmons is a brilliant young actress she uh she does a great job in the movie uh if there's a part of the movie I would like to see some improvement upon. I think Noah Jupe and Emily Blunt's characters both needed a little bit more to do. Um, I didn't dislike their scenes in the movie. It's just it just wasn't particularly uh, effective for me. Anything you want to add about Quiet Place 2? <sighs> We're not spoiling this, are we? I've been trying not to, personally. Okay. Good call. Hmm. I think I said this one when I talked about it last time or last week <clears throat> in that I don't think that the idea or the premise of this series is strong enough to really allow f for the any sequels to be better than the first. The and, and by saying that, I don't mean to say that the premise and setting is weak or unsatisfactory i just it's not deep there's not a lot that you can expand upon and that's why it krasinski's the first one is brilliant it's so brilliantly done it's such an incredibly great idea for a movie but you can't do anything more with it and so if you like i said if you like the first one you're gonna like the second one because it is just more of the same I have no problem with more of the same. 
My only fear is if they are making a third, like I, I have no, I have no interest in a third one. If they make one, I'll go see it because these movies are fun and entertaining. But I'm not amped up for Quiet Place Three. I don't, I don't, I don't care. There's, there's, there's not a lot of depth to this world. They don't even do a lot of world building because it's just about this family trying to survive. So. I'm very entertained by these movies. I enjoy them. I think they're incredibly well done. But I, I'm not... I, 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 I hate this. This sounds like it's a bad thing, but like I, I, don't, I don't care. Mm. Like I, don't ca- I don't care about the continuation of the story. If they don't make another one, I, I'm not going to be sad. If they make another one, I'm not going to be disappointed. I, I'm, I'm just... I'm not invested in this... I, I, can you call it a franchise? I, in two, yeah, I in mean, two after films? two movies, then I think you can. Two film franchise? Okay, I, I'm I'm not invested enough in this franchise to care about the next chapter. But if they make another one, I will watch it because they are fun and entertaining. For all of the praise that we heaped upon the first one, one thing that did not come out of either of our mouths was, I can't wait for the second one. Yeah. You know, it was not the kind of movie where I felt like I needed continuation on. I felt like I got my fill. I felt like I was I was satisfied with it. It was a at an hour and a half even the first one uh was just a satisfying bite-sized chunk of movie and i had no problems with it do you want to know a for me personally because i know you won't quite share the same uh affection for the sequel that i did but a, a nice analogy they're not the same level but sicario yeah I well obviously I fucking love Sicario because it's in my top twenty of mm-hmm. all time. At no point at the end of Sicario I was like, I can't wait to see the next one because no. there sh- really shouldn't have been. Yeah, they the made movie, a sequel. They did exactly what they wanted to do in the first one. Yep, they made a sequel that I was entertained by, and that's fine. And the sequel, Day of the Soldado, definitely leaves it open for another one. I don't want them to make another one. Yeah, I. But if they did. I will watch it. I agree with the point that you're making. I I liked Sicario 2. It was fine. But I do think that the drop from Sicario 1 to Sicario 2 is far greater than the drop yes. from A Quiet Place 1 to A Quiet Place 2. A, because the first movie in – or the first Sicario movie is better than the first Quiet Place movie. And B, because the second Quiet Place is better than the second Sicario. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay, I think I got that right in my head. Let's go. <laughs> let me put it like this way. If we're ranking those four films, it goes Sicario, Quiet Place, Quiet Place 2, Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Yeah, from top to bottom. So that's it's one, exactly it's it. one in four and two and three. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, we just talked about him, but uh, Jaiman, say it's pronounced Jaiman? Jaiman. Jaiman. Jaiman Honsu is uh, in this movie, now credited as Jaiman Honsu, first and last name. Yep. Doesn't really need to be. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it was weird. When he popped up, I was so excited. And he just really doesn't have a ton to do. Oh, that's a kind of a spoiler. That section of the film. Yeah, I don't want to break it down too much. Okay. Why I was disappointed by him, but you know. Okay. <laughs> I would. I would definitely want to talk about that aspect yeah. of the part. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a quiet place to. Basically, all I can say, if you like the first one. You're gonna like this one. That's basically the way I have it. Just perhaps not as much. Oh, there's uh again, try not to spoil this. There's a scene on a dock which is 
I don't think I needed that in my Quiet Place movie. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly there's what you're a, talking there's about. There's a scene on a dock where when I realized the direction they were going with it, it just didn't fit for me. It just did not – didn't – didn't. I mean, it's not supposed to, but it didn't fill me with the warm and fuzzies exactly. <laughs> you, know what, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I could have done without that in my movie. but Totally fair. Me. Totally fair. Yeah. Uh, that's Quiet Place 2. I I initially gave it a four, actually. Or in my in my head, I was like, oh, that's probably a four. In talking about it, I had I had some issues with it. I think it's a three. Mm. Um, Millicent Simmons is the highlight of the movie by far. Noah Jupe and Emily Blunt really don't have a lot to do. I also didn't really need Killian Murphy in the movie. Um, it felt like his purpose in the movie. His role is basically to fill a math equation. Like, oh, if we have Emily Blunt and Noah Jupe uh, in sort of separate from them doing all these things, we need somebody for Mills and Simmons to team up with, but we don't have enough characters. That's what it felt like. Enter Killian Murphy. That's what it kind of felt like to me. Fair. Um, but yeah, any, uh, anything more, like, that's already getting kind of spoilery. But uh, regardless, uh, I f- think I feel comfortable giving it a three um what do i want to talk about next let's go let's go with this because i don't want to finish with this movie i'm about to talk about it (laughs) (laughs) we'll finish we'll finish strong with the other one you know i'm going to talk about um so we were sitting around emma and i one night and she she said sam have you ever seen uptown girls uh the 2003 comedy drama romance movie with uh britney murphy and dakota fanning uh, and I said I hadn't. She said she grew up on it, her and her sister. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll give it a watch. Sure. Man, have you seen Uptown Girls? <clears throat> if I have, I've forgotten it. Yeah, that's that's about it. It's, it's a kind of forgettable movie, if I'm being honest. It is a very by-the-numbers, like, uh, without even reading the IMDb plot synopsis, here's kind of what it is. It's... A, a selfish woman in her early 20s who's used to being prim and rich and proper loses her fortune and she becomes a nanny for a little girl played by Dakota Fanning and the two get into all kinds of hijinks because they're completely polar opposite personalities. Brittany Murphy is like a spoiled rich girl who's learning how to cope with being poor and Dakota Fanning is, uh, I guess she's, I think she's a daughter of a rich family, but she's not... Um, She's not like a princess type. She's very strict and like kind of a almost like a germaphobe and like just very very uptight. That's the word I'm looking for. She's very uptight. Okay. And the two the comedy of the film, in theory, <laughs> comes from the two of them uh, sort of playing off one another. So that's the plot of the movie, and it's exactly as predictable as you would expect. Um, they they both grow as people and Dakota Fanning's character learns to grow and learns to learns to be a little less uptight and learns to cut loose and have fun and Brittany Murphy's character uh, learns responsibility and learns how to care for herself and they grow as people together it's cliche and dumb but it's it's fun enough like it's just completely harmless <laughs> it's uh genuinely Brittany Murphy is quite funny in the movie at times and genuinely i i like dakota fanning i uh, think dakota fanning is phenomenal especially this era when she was uh doing her work uh, as a child between this uh, war of the worlds was the year following uptown girls um in this movie she's actually hilarious at times like laugh out loud funny um but that doesn't change the fact that the movie is kind of silly 
it's it's kind of silly but it's totally the kind of movie i could see like if if i was a kid or if i if i was uh, in emma's shoes uh growing up with a little sister just throwing on like as a, as a dumb little background movie it's perfectly harmless it's whatever i gave it a two. Ooh, yeah but <laughs> that's not to say i didn't enjoy at least parts but i i definitely rolled my eyes the did you, hi- tell, did you tell emma you gave it a two i didn't uh if, <laughs> if you're listening uh babe sorry uh, <laughs> uptown girls was kind of silly but i i enjoyed parts of it in particular Brittany murphy and dakota fanning actually do have really good chemistry mm-hmm. in the movie but the plot's just too dumb to get a pass <laughs> Fair enough. that's sort of how i feel about that interesting yeah Brittany Murphy, she died at, like, 32. She died really young, yeah. Yeah, she had uh, 8 Mile, like, a year before this as well. Um, and uh, this movie may have a cult following. I'm not totally sure. I've never heard of anybody saying, I really love the movie Uptown Girls. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, so that's that. Uh, the last one I wanted to talk about is the movie for the Manny Movie Club. Uh, we both watched it uh, on the recommendation of uh, Chards. Yeah. Uh, Chards' last recommendation was, what was that Kevin Bacon movie that we watched? Stir of Echoes. Stir of Echoes. I couldn't even think of the name for it. Now, just before we continue, I do want to give, I, as much as I love to give Chards shit, mm-hmm. he didn't really recommend Stir of Echoes. Mm-hmm. He honestly only wanted me to watch it for one reason and one reason only, which I revealed when we talked about them. Mm-hmm. So I, I like to throw him under the bus about how he recommended Sir of Echoes. He didn't truly recommend it. He wanted me to watch it for one reason and one reason only, and that is because an actress in the movie also appears as a recurring character for one season in How I Met Your Mother, and that's the only reason he wanted me to watch it. That is legit the only reason. So, yes, Stir of Echoes was the first movie we used for the Manny Movie Club. And I was like, well, if I put this on here in this new thing that I've cooked up for us to do, it'll force me to watch it and that'll make Chards happy. So, technically, it was Chards' recommendation. Um, but this is, this is honest. In all honesty, this is the first one that he's truly recommended. Yes. So, yes. Um, with that all said, Safety Not Guaranteed, the 2012 comedy drama romance. Three magazine employees head out on an assignment to interview a guy who placed a classified ad seeking a companion for time travel. Mm-hmm. So, very interesting plot. I think I think I remember you describing the plot of this movie to me at some point. Because when, when the ad is read right at the beginning of the movie, uh, it rang a bell. For some reason, have you talked to me about this movie at some point? For some, no. somebody told me to watch this movie at some point. Maybe it was Chards. Maybe it was someone else. I don't know. Um, but it's wow. We're talking about some short movies today. I don't think we've talked about. A, have we talked about a single movie over like an hour and a half so far? We must have in your section. Yeah, River Wild. Yeah, for sure. And Stargate. But safety not guaranteed. Hour twenty six minutes. So very compact watch. Um, there are some comedic moments in the movie that kind of miss for me some of the some of the comedy doesn't quite hit um it's Aubrey plaza um jake johnson and mark duplass that's sort of the primary cast i do like Aubrey plaza i enjoy her in parks and Rec- parks and recreation um she is really really funny as april ludgate she uh, basically plays the same character in this movie as she does in Parks and Rec, um, basically playing a version of herself. 
the comedy in this movie is probably the weakest part of it. There are some moments where it feels like I'm supposed to be laughing where I'm really not. Um, but outside of all of that, I found this movie to be very interesting and very thought-provoking. Yes, it, it wasn't laugh-out-loud funny, per se, uh, but, you know, the the character development and the arcs that these people go on um i actually wrote up a big thing on it uh in the facebook chat and sure I, I i wrote quite the uh quite the report on this you did i, I loved it <laughs> quite a it was long very one. similar to one of t-bones t-bones wrote up a huge one on the, one of the other movies we did as well yeah um it's i it's very heartfelt very intelligent um i think the appeal, the main appeal of the movie for me was in its intelligence and in its writing. The screenplay is excellent, and the way that their character arcs are linked thematically, all of these characters are nostalgic for a past that doesn't exist. Each of these characters is hearkening back to a time when they were happy, or at least when they think that they were happy, and they're all trying to chase some just the specter of a past that never happened they're all trying to return to a day when if they had just done one thing different or if i could just return to this day when i was happy i could i could really be happy and all of these characters are suffering from the same delusion and really everybody in all aspects of life kind of has a habit of doing this we just like to imagine the past imagine all of our mistakes imagine you know if i could go back and do it all over again i would be happy or if i could just return to um you know my my hometown or if i could return to this day in high school i, I could just be happy and all of these characters are convinced of this and we the audience looking at this know that it's foolish. We know watching this movie that all these characters are fools for trying to return to the past and trying to make things right and just knowing that they could be happy if they could just do this one thing back in the past. Um, but it never quite works out that way. It never works out for that way for our characters in the movie. It doesn't work out that way in real life. And I found that aspect of the screenplay to be really thought-provoking and really insightful and really made me do a lot of reflection myself. Uh didn't find the movie particularly funny and it is it is a comedy um but i found it more thought-provoking than anything uh it really left me reeling it left me uh really reflecting on my own life uh many anything you want to say about safety not guaranteed it didn't affect me the way it did you no <laughs> no not at all hmm. not at all uh it's been fun seeing everyone's reactions to this because i am in the minority hmm because you and Rachel and Jordan and T-Bone have all loved this movie. Um, it looks like Adam just finished the movie tonight, so I'll be interested to see what his thoughts are. Uh, it's funny, Chards hasn't chimed in at all on his thoughts on the very movie that he has selected. Yeah, so weird. I think I'm going to call him out on that uh, tonight in the in the chat group. I'm going to I'm going to poke and prod him. He hasn't even replied to anybody else's thoughts, even though he has replied to mine because him and I talk on the phone. So we had a pretty in-length uh, discussion on the film. I, too, didn't find this movie funny at, at all. Uh, not that it was unfunny or unenjoyable. Yeah. The movie was good. <clears throat> I will say this. I am glad that I really wasn't paying much attention during the credits. And I'm glad I didn't look at anything uh, about this movie prior. Because if I had known that this was directed by Colin Trevorrow, I would have went in with a pretty fucking I would have been pretty fucking skeptical going in. 
that being said, the movie's direction isn't great as it is. Mm-hmm. I don't think the performances are all that good. They're not bad, but they're definitely not good. Um, I have no history or connection to Aubrey Plaza or Mark Duplass. My affection, uh, it's Jake Johnson, right? Yes, that's right. I think I watched the first season of New Girl. Uh, Wasn't my cup of tea. But Jake Johnson is one of the highlights of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, because he plays Peter Parker, right? Peter B. Parker. Peter B. Parker, Yeah, and he's fucking phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I found his character to be a little confusing uh, in this movie. He's supposed to be... The cool comedic guy and the choices he makes uh, left me confused as to why he's making those choices. Uh, I just – this movie just didn't resonate with me. I still liked it, but not as much as the rest of you have. The rest of you have really enjoyed this movie, and I love that you guys have. But for me, it, it just didn't hit. So it was uh, – I can't remember if I revealed my rank on it last week, but I, it was a three for me. Yeah. N- never approaching a four. Uh, there is something I would love to talk about, but it's a major spoiler, so I'm not going to talk about it on air. Okay. That's fine. Um, by the way, did you give uh, Quiet Place 2 a star ranking? A three. Okay. Cool. just want to have that on my record. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, that's uh, that's all that I've been watching. That's, uh, that's it. Just uh, <laughs> Safety Not Guaranteed, Quiet Place 2, and Uptown Girls. Awesome. That's my week. Wicked. In addition to the movie we're about to talk about. Excellent. For those of you listening, get comfortable because this is probably going to go for a while. <laughs> we are now in part four of our 1994 retrospective, and we are now tackling the second Best Picture nominee from 1994. And that is The Shawshank Redemption, released October 14th, 1994. That is an important date, but we'll talk about that another time. Directed by Frank Darabont, written by Frank Darabont, starring Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman, and Bob Gunton, has a meta score of 80. Who fucking wrote a, a, a review on Shawshank is like, this isn't good. <laughs> like, for real. Yeah. Have you ever, have honestly, before I get... Have you ever met somebody that watched Shawshank and was like, that was okay? No, I've never I've never had somebody who did not think this movie was at least great. Yeah. Um, by the way, I didn't I don't have this written down anywhere, but one of my favorite baseball players, Zach Greinke, uh, <laughs> who I don't think we've ever actually talked about, but I no, I love haven't. Zach Greinke. He's very very funny, very dry guy. He is. Um he one of my favorite quotes of his of all time. I don't even know the context of this. It doesn't even need context. He says, um I can't speak to you if you haven't seen the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> I don't I don't have the time for you if you haven't seen it. <laughs> Fucking awesome. Yep. Uh, Shawshank went 0 for 7 at the Oscars in 1994. How? 0 for 7. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Morgan Freeman, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography. Who was the cinematographer on this film? Mr. Roger Deakins. Yes. So no uh, wonder it didn't win. It was in the middle of his cold streak. I don't think it was the middle. I think this was first. Oh, was it? I'm pretty sure. 
Oh yeah, because this was uh, this was pre Fargo. Yeah, and we said in the Fargo episode that was the second. Yeah. So yeah. What a, the... what a follow up movie. God damn, Shawshank then Fargo. Yeah. Well, I that would be his follow up nomination. I yeah. bet you he's got other films in there. Probably. Uh, best sound, best film editing, and best original score. It had a budget of twenty five million dollars. This movie grossed twenty eight million dollars. Bomb. I I'm happy to say that I did see this in the theaters on its re-release after the Oscar nominations came out. I wasn't I wasn't privy enough or knew enough that this was actually great when it came out in October. So I think I saw it around in January when they re-released it uh, after the Oscar nominations were announced. Hmm. Plot: Two imprisoned men bond over a number of years, finding solace and eventual redemption through acts of Common decency. Interesting. Sam. What are your spoiler-free thoughts on the Shawshank Redemption? I mean, we already did kind of cover it a little bit in the beginning, but I'll just reiterate to say that this is the kind of movie that it's difficult to take notes during. It's because I'm so invested in the movie. Uh, This is actually probably only... I want to say my third or fourth. I'm going to say fourth time. It's probably my fourth time seeing Shawshank Redemption. Um, Manny is making a shocked expression at me right now because he's probably seen this dozens of times. That's probably an understatement. That's a massive understatement. Yeah. You think uh, Triple Digi's on uh, Shawshank? I would say it's easily over 50. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've probably seen this round about four times i would say oh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i would say my one two three films mm-hmm. are all over 50 with ice well i which i guarantee and i also guaranteed that back to the future was over 100 oh yeah because i mean you've been watching back to the future since you were a kid basically since, since it came out yeah 85 mm-hmm. so that gives me 35 years so if you think about it, i only i only need to watch back to the future three times a year to crack 100 <laughs> that's not hard for me to do <laughs> Um, so with Shawshank Redemption, um, it, it's difficult to analyze even, um, but at its heart, uh, as far as the writing is concerned, and I can't believe this didn't win Best Adapted Screenplay because it's a spectacular, spectacular screenplay. You know what it lost to? Uh, Forrest Gump? Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, at its heart, it's a movie uh, that is a defense of hope. It's a movie that... It's rare to find, especially in the Oscars today, a movie as shamelessly optimistic as The Shawshank Redemption. As much as I like a lot of the movies that are nominated for Oscars these days in the 2020s, um, we have made a turn in cinema into the world of nihilism, pessimism, however you cynicism. want to phrase it. Cynicism. Great word. Um, yeah, we've, we've sort of taken a turn in cinemas especially when it comes to the movies that are nominated for oscars so to see a movie back in 94 that's this optimistic and this hopeful and this joyous uh and this triumphant is a lot of fun to watch and great to see get nominated of course didn't win anything and it really didn't uh get critical praise It, it didn't really receive the critical praise then that it has now am i correct in assessing that no it did receive the critical praise. At it the got time. the critical praise. It didn't get the commercial recognition. Yeah. Like, the critics loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Ebert gave it a four out of four right off the bat. Yeah. So this movie got the critical praise, 
but people just didn't go see it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have always kind of wondered why. And a lot of people attribute it to the the title itself, the Shawshank Redemption. Like, what does that even mean? What does that mean? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people think that that's part of the problem with why it didn't have com- like it didn't have commercial success. Critical, pr- the critical praise were there. The critics loved this movie from the get go. But if you want, you know what? I'll just reveal it here. When I mentioned when it came out. Do you want to know what other movie was released that same fucking weekend? Uh, was it Pulp Fiction? It was. <laughs> so that means at the movie theaters, if you wanted to, over the course of a weekend, you could watch in theaters at the same time Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, and Forrest Gump. Wow. What a time to be alive. Yeah. And I was alive. And I was not. Yeah. So... For those of you who are wondering why I'm singling out Pulp Fiction as part of the reason why this movie got drowned out at the uh, box office is Pulp Fiction was a critical and commercial darling. Pulp Fiction exploded onto the scene like a fucking asteroid hitting Earth despite Bruce Willis's best efforts. <laughs> it's We will be getting into that later on when we talk about Pulp Fiction on the impact that that movie had on everything in cinema. So that's one of the reasons that Shawshank did so well and wasn't well known. So I I can't think of any other word than commercial or public praise. But again, I I understand the point you're trying to get across, but I just want to make sure to our listeners and to you that it it got the critical response it wasn't the commercial or popular response until it hit home video. Yeah, because like you said earlier, talk to anybody who's seen Shawshank Redemption, and they love it. Yep. <laughs> I don't know anybody who's watched this movie and didn't at least love it. I, I agree. Uh, so yeah, that sort of reputation uh, was not attained. That that's what, It did not yet have that sort of reputation where everybody was just like, oh, Shawshank Redemption is so great. It took a while to did, Yeah, I didn't mean to derail your, your, your thoughts there. No, worth, uh, worth, worth at least pointing out. So I'll, I'll leave it at this is a hopeful, beautiful, triumphant movie. It's a movie about hope in the most hopeless of places. <sighs> and it speaks to me every time that I watch it. And uh, it has always affected me on a really deep level. Even though I've only seen it a few times, I did watch it for the first time, I'd say somewhere in my early teens. Uh, so I have been I have been familiar with this movie for a while. Uh, and it's excellent, excellent, excellent. Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins are both exceptional. Uh, there might not be a character I hate more. I mean, if you, I say that about every character that I, I hate, but this time I really mean it. I'm like Maya with her, uh, <laughs> with her favorite movie. <laughs> this time, really, Warden Norton... Uh, just a despicable, selfish, I can't even think of words. Uh, he is just a megalomaniac of a human being, somebody who is only acting in his own self-interest and is in, only in a sense of self-preservation, um, who manipulates and undercuts and cheats uh, in the name of self-preservation, and I hate him, and he's awesome. <laughs> uh, Manny. Shawshank Redemption. This is my second favorite movie of all time. I've been looking forward to talking about it. And I'm going to try and keep this episode as short as I can with no promises. 
I'm going to try and get through as much as I want to talk about while also not wasting everybody's time. I, Like I mentioned earlier on, I did have the pleasure of seeing this movie in the theater. It was on the re-release after they announced the Oscar nominations, and so uh, a lot of theaters will re uh, bring movies back in the hopes of uh, riding on the back of the popularity of the Oscar nominations to, to get, garner a few more bucks out of the film, and they got it out of me. And I remember sitting in the theater being blown away by what I was watching, and I was like, how have I never heard of this movie before? And I instantly fell in love. It did take a while for this to move up to number two on my list, but I'd say it's probably been there for a good 20-plus years. 20 years or so. I would say probably around, probably yeah, yeah, about there. Probably around the turn of the, turn of the century is when this probably finally creeped up into number two. It is an absolutely beautifully filmed movie. And it's one of those movies where you're always shocked to learn that this is the director's first film. And Frank Darabont immediately became a filmmaker I wanted to follow. And his follow-up film was a movie that you and I both enjoy, The Green Mile. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he starts to taper off from there. But then he comes back and does the first season of The Walking Dead. And it's spectacular. I think it did it season two. I can't remember. Um, the supporting cast, brilliant, perfectly cast. I don't think I would change anybody in this movie. It's obviously, as we like to say every time Deacons is on board a film that we talk about, it's brilliantly filmed. There are some truly iconic shots. Um, in my mind, three stand out the most, which we'll get to. Uh, when we get to them in the spoiler-free discussion. I personally don't have as high a praise for Tim Robbins' performance as you, hmm. uh, which I'll touch upon in spoilers as well. But I think this might be Morgan Freeman's best performance ever. I think that's a fine assessment. It's it's pretty up there, but I'm also like a Morgan Freeman super fan well, i shouldn't say super fan because then that makes it sound like i watch all of his movies i <laughs> kind of pick and choose based on the what i think is the quality of the film that he's in hmm. but when he's doing films like these it's, it's just fucking catnip for me watching a master ply his craft is a joy to behold and his performance in this movie it's something that we're going to be discussing a lot on this episode, and I'm probably going to be discussing a lot in the year-end episode. Um, my biggest regret about not being able to see this movie in theaters, this was Morgan Freeman's first movie <laughs> as a narrator. <laughs> yes. Now he's just the voice. He's, he's the voice in narration of everything basically he did all those visa commercials he did uh some documentaries like i remember seeing march of the penguins or the, the penguins he narrated uh he just has a beautiful voice and the world had not heard morgan freeman narrate a movie to this point yes now they had yes i was about to say he had a little bit at the end of seven but you know what seven was the year following this correct um and yeah he has that 
I think it's just a small he, voiceover at the end. He does have some voiceover in Driving Miss Daisy in 88 as well. Mm. But uh, yeah, as far as being full narrator, this is Morgan Freeman's first role in that. That is a, that is a sig- significant moment in cinema, yeah. I feel like. And the world, let's be honest. Yeah, come on. I, I've long maintained that the world would be better off um, while we still have Morgan Freeman uh, recording him saying every word in the English language <laughs> so that we can have him narrate things long after he's gone. I was actually going to I – sh- I should have messaged this to you earlier today because I was thinking, I'm like, we should come up – we just take a little time, but, like, we should come up with our top three or top five narrators. Yeah. So I would probably put him – uh, I really like the narration that uh, however you pronounce his name, Lev 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 Schreiber. Yeah, I've always said the Lev 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 Schreiber does some great narration. He does a lot for sports, oh. especially for um like those um those like the the build up to big boxing matches that HBO does. Like he mm-hmm. does he does the voiceover work for those. Uh, he's spectacular. Um, is it David Attenborough? Who does the voiceover for the BBC Planet or stuff? Yes. I, for some reason, I feel like there was multiple Attenboroughs, but yeah, David Attenborough. There are. There are there's David and Richard. Right, because Richard Attenborough is the actor, actor. right? Yeah, yeah, okay. David Attenborough is the nature documentary guy. Yeah. So I like his. I love – Um. oh, I can see his fucking face. God damn it. Uh, uh, Keith David. Keith David. Keith David does a lot of uh, voiceover work. He he narrates uh, the 10th inning of Ken Burns' uh, baseball documentary. Ah, uh, yes, which I've never never wound up uh, finishing, actually. You mother. I was actually meant to get, kept, keep asking you about that. Yeah. What a fucking prick. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I thought it'd be fun, but uh, we would have needed a little bit more time, and we're already uh, starting later than we anticipated uh, today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh that that being said, Shawshank, if you haven't seen it, and this is when I, I'm not Zach Grinky, Zach Grinky. If if somebody <laughs> hasn't seen Shawshank, I have no problem talking to them. But once I've once I've discovered people that haven't seen Shawshank, I have literally told them, this is my quote verbatim: "Whatever you're doing tonight, cancel those plans and watch Shawshank. You won't regret that decision." Mm-hmm. Shawshank is. If you've not seen Shawshank, you will watch it and instantly be happy that you did. It is, in my opinion, spoiler for the end of the show, a perfect film. I don't think there's anything. There are so I have some nitpicks, but you can nitpick any movie. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to acting and plot and everything, this movie, I I don't think that there's a much that you could change in this movie to make it better. I can think of one thing. And that's you could edit out a, about five to ten minutes of one part. Other than that, this movie's fantastic. Let's get into Shawshank. Let's do it. If you've not seen Shawshank, please, whatever you're doing tonight, cancel those plans and watch it. Spoilers for Shawshank coming up in three, two, one. Go fuck yourself. All right. You ready to follow along? Yeah, let's go. Let's start. Opening scene. I love movies. Now, don't get me wrong. There are great ways to do credits. I love movies that start a movie and have the credits roll over top while, the, while an opening scene is going on. Just get me into the movie. We see... We have some... Well, 
It's I, it's not technically voiceover because we're hearing the trial happen over top of Andy in the car. So yeah, a, it's not a, like true voiceover. It's just the way that the movie's edited. The, we have a bit of a flashback during the trial. Yeah. Opens with a flashback, but we don't know it's a flashback. Mm-hmm. And our, our opening shot is just of the driveway. It's Andy sitting in the driveway, mm-hmm. uh, and we slowly have the reveal of the gun and then the, the liquor and him waiting. Yeah. The opening scene, really great. I, I love that this is how we are introduced to the movie. The actor playing the prosecuting lawyer is Jeffrey DeMunn. He is an actor that I enjoy. He is one of the guards in The Green Mile. He has a role in The Walking Dead. Yes. And he has a role in a movie I talked about a few weeks ago, this HBO movie about Russia's most notorious serial killer, Andre Chikatilo. Yes. He plays Andre Chikatilo in that movie. Right. By the way, I didn't get a chance to say, I completely <laughs> forgot uh, with Frank Darabont earlier, uh, he did uh, direct the uh, premiere episode of The Walking Dead, so season one, episode one. Mm. Um, also, the last movie that he directed, can't believe I didn't even recognize this, is The Mist, which is a pretty underrated uh, Stephen King movie in its own right. Great ending. Yeah. One of, <laughs> one of the best endings in a movie I've seen in a while. If you haven't seen The Mist and you're into you're into like Stephen King horror, you should watch that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great ending. The Great mo- ending. The thing is, I haven't seen the movie in a long time. The movie, the first like hour and a half of it could just be garbage. I genuinely don't remember. It probably isn't. It's probably okay. Um, but the ending. But the ending. Yeah. yeah. The ending. <laughs> Fuck yeah, the ending. Uh, I enjoyed the trial. It sets things up nicely. Uh, the I, I guess... I guess I'm going to take the opportunity to nitpick things where I can so this isn't a complete love fest. But uh, for someone on trial for murder, he's really fucking cold and kind of uncaring. Yeah. Yes, he is. But that's just kind of his personality, right? Like, it, it appears to be. Yeah. We, we don't see him before all this happens, so I have no idea. Yeah, you're right. And. But through the course of the movie, it's easy to chalk it up to the way he's treated in prison, all of the sexual abuse, all of the manipulation that he undergoes. Um, it's easy easy to write that off as sort of a reason for his cold demeanor. But it may also just be who he is. It's true. You, you know, it, it is sort of mentioned early by Red that he keeps to himself. He, he appears like he's pretty shy. He's not super social, especially in the beginning, um, before he really opens up and, and finds himself. But yeah i don't know if i'm on trial for a double murder with the chance of going to prison for life might be a little bit more kind of passionate about my defense uh-huh. he seems somewhat uncaring so given I don't that know. i am innocent i find it very inconvenient that the gun was never found yeah <laughs> or whatever it is that he says that's exactly what he says mm-hmm. um yeah so the opening scene the opening trial great sets it up then we get to meet red I, I love these scenes with Red, these three scenes the that parole? we get of his parole hearings, those 20, 30, and 40-year parole mm-hmm. hearings. Um, and it's a great, not only a great introduction, but uh, a great way of showing Red's character arc and sort of framing these little moments in his, in his life mm-hmm. and what kind of person he is in each moment. 20 years into his sentence, he still doesn't really get it. 
<laughs> he, st- he still doesn't know what these parole hearings are. Mm-hmm. He still really believes genuinely that this is the moment where you prove that you've grown as a person. And this is where you convince people that you just want to do some good for your community. And he's still he's still a believer in this. And uh, he doesn't really know that this is just this is just a facade. Yep. This is just 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 a game that uh, that gives a couple people a job <laughs> as as he puts it later. Man, your mic is uh, not wanting to stay up by your mouth. <clears throat> nope, might be time for a new uh mic stand. New boom stand? Yep. Yeah, I can hook you up. Sweet. <laughs> uh <clears throat> let's just say it right now. Freeman is magnificent. Yeah, best uh absolutely magnificent. I feel film. comfortable saying this. This is my favorite Morgan Freeman performance certainly. Uh, especially, I mean, we'll get there, but the final parole hearing is just a mic drop moment. Just a wow, phenomenal, phenomenal scene. I'm just going through some of my favorite Freeman films, and having to pick number one would be hard. Again, following this up with seven. Th- this what, is. This and do you remember what he did two years prior? Unforgiven. Yeah. Yeah. Goes Unforgiven, Shawshank Redemption, seven. Yeah. Just three masterpieces all in a row. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Um, this is where we get voiceover. Mm-hmm. We get some narration from Freeman. We hear those sweet tones. The dulcet tones of Morgan <laughs> Freeman. <laughs> he is uh, just mesmerizing in his voiceover work and... This was the first time we got to see it, or I guess hear it. <clears throat> if if I could do a Morgan Freeman impression, which I can't, unfortunately, but if I could, the maybe the only thing I would ever say would be, the first time I laid eyes on Andy Dufresne, <laughs> I didn't think much of him. <laughs> that line, for some reason, is just stuck in my head. The Morgan Freeman, uh, his performance in this movie... And in a, in in one of the other movies that would be up for my favorite Freeman performance is I think an underseen gem as well. It's called Lean on Me. Don't know it. Uh, it's, it's a true story of um, a uh, a high school principal, uh, inner city high school principal who t- who turns a school around. Mm-hmm. And it's a true story. Uh, his name his name's Joe Clark. It's a movie I highly highly recommend. Mm-hmm. I cry. Every time, two scenes, three scenes. Just remember the third. Mm. Three times I will cry every time I've seen it. Um, his character in uh, Lean on Me and his character here, uh, Morgan Freeman reminds me of my dad. They have a little bit similar facial features, but incredibly similar um Patterns of speech. Thank you. Patterns of speech and hand movements when they talk and body movements when they talk. I wish – like if we were watching the film, I would be able to point out – I'm like, my dad does that. My dad does that. My dad does that. And Is so, this your way of telling me that your dad is actually Morgan Freeman? I fucking wish. <laughs> I know my dad's not listening to this at all because I don't even know if my dad knows I do a podcast because <laughs> I don't even know if he knows what a podcast is. Maybe not. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love my dad, but Morgan Freeman's my dad's pretty fucking awesome. It's pretty cool. Um, before we get to that quote that you would say if you had Morgan Freeman's mm-hmm. voice, we get that 
I said there's three iconic shots in this movie. This is the first one. This is the helicopter shot that goes over top of the prison, comes over top of the prison yard as the bus is about to pull in. Mm-hmm. It is a beautiful shot, which should come as no surprise because we have our boy behind the camera. Can I guess the other two? I, I, I sure. guess it's not even really a guess, I imagine, but it has to be uh, looking down the tunnel behind the poster. Um, no. When they discover the tunnel. Oh, that shot isn't that isn't the one? Okay. Uh, nope. Uh, well, one of them has to be uh, him coming out of the pipe and standing in the rain. Yep. And the, the crane shot, sort of at a Dutch angle. Um, the well, other one, I, I, so this this helicopter shot, and I didn't mean to cut you off. Yep. The helicopter shot and the uh, the standing in the rain shot, those are iconic. They, they, they are the iconic shots. The third one is not iconic. Mm. I just have oh, – I've always thought every time – since I saw it in the theater, I've always thought that is a – beautiful shot and it's probably not quite what you're thinking the tunnel shot where they rip the poster off Hmm. that's i would say just below iconic it is a well-known shot this one the other one that i love that i think is beautiful i i shouldn't have called it iconic but i think it's a beautiful shot i and i i honestly i'll be surprised if you guess it yeah i don't i can't even really think of it right now I, i don't know if i even have a guess for you okay it's actually the shot of um, which we'll get to. Do you want me to reveal it now, or do you want me to reveal it when we get to that part? No, you go ahead. I want to know. Okay. It's the shot of Hadley holding um, Andy on the edge of of the building. Uh-huh. It pans up and over, showing you that they are. it is the actors on the edge of that building. And while that might not seem like a lot, it is dangerous. But I did learn there's CGI in that shot because they were harnessed, and mm-hmm. they had to erase the harnesses so in case somebody tripped or sneezed or something they didn't plummet to their death yeah because you can see they're right on the edge of a fucking building Mm -hmm. and it's it's a beautiful shot it pans up and over and around them i think it's an absolutely gorgeous shot i've always loved that shot deacons deacons (laughs) little did i know that i didn't know who deacons was back then no well i guess nobody outside the business really did yeah um we have that beautiful score from Newman just ringing in our ears as everything's going on. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I, oh. I really didn't have anything. Oh, I thought you were just about to say something. No, I love this location. The, the production design on this film, absolutely spectacular. And this is also where we learn about, uh, going fishing. <laughs> Um, this is where we learn about the bet. Your quote is in this scene. We're also introduced to Captain Hadley, played by Clancy Brown. Absolutely amazing performance. And no, another great villain in this movie. And we're introduced to your uh, mo- one of your most hated people in film, apparently. Uh, <laughs> the Sam, Warden. Yeah. Uh, Sam Norton, played by Bob, Bob Gutton. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Uh, Anything you want to touch on here? I'm I'm yeah. I'm, I'm not going into the first night yet. Oh, okay. I think I think that like where the where the captain is introduced, there's Get, there's, yep. a, there's a quote that he has, but I'll, I'll wait until we till we go into the first night. Um, as far as showing up, I should mention I was watching this movie with Emma, mm. and uh, and she had never seen it before. It was her first watch. So. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have to pick her brain about it. Uh, Holy! I, fuck. I won't I won't reveal too many of her thoughts, but I will say in this scene where they're going fishing, um, it was revealed to me just how effective this 
uh, scene is when she turned to me, she's like, what are they betting on? I was like, just wait, just like, just wait, it'll, it'll be revealed. But it's a really, uh, I mean, you think, you think they're going fishing. The, <laughs> the writing is really reeling in the audience. It's really drawing you in, having them all, uh, give me, give me this guy. Like they're betting on these people, but it's not immediately clear, uh, what exactly they're betting on until I think it's over a Morgan Freeman voiceover during the first night yep. when he reveals what it is they're betting on. Yep. Uh, okay. Getting into the first night, this is where we find out that they're betting on who's going to cry first. Mm -hmm. That's sad and scary because I would probably be the first. Oh, I would. It would. If you and I both showed up to Shawshank on the same day, we would tie for last place. Yeah. (laughs) First place. First place. Yeah, we would both. Okay. Yeah, we would both win. Yes. We would both cry instantly, basically. Yes. I'd much. be I'd be crying by the time I stepped off the bus. Yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> same. I might not have stopped crying since the guilty verdict. Uh, a quick thing. Two notes, because uh, I don't think I have it in my trivia. Um, the picture of Morgan Freeman in his parole folder. You see his picture right next to where they stamp it? Yep. Um, that's Morgan Freeman's youngest son, Alfonso. Yeah, I think I I think I read that. That's uh, it looks remarkably similar. It looks it's, just like him. Yeah, because when you first see, it, you're like, wow, that's really good. Either really good casting or really good CGI. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in that in that scene where they're being let off the bus, I don't know if you you've only seen the movie four times, so you might not remember it. But there is a black guy going. He's like, hey, fresh fish, fresh fish. Yep. That's Alfonso Freeman. Oh, it's the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so the first night they, there is a, another shocking, beautiful shot in this film. And it's when the lights go out and all the cells are dark and you can't, you can see maybe one foot in and then all the prisoners walk towards the bars and they all come right out of the darkness, right up the bars. Oh my God. It's a beautiful shot. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that shot in the theater. Oh God. I love this movie. <laughs> um, this is where they start going fishing. I wish I had turned on the captions during this scene because this time listening, you can hear, if you listen carefully, a lot of the background prisoners, like their replies to the main dialogue are pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Like when fat ass is calling for your mother, he's like, I had your mother. She wasn't that good. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a couple other ones in there that are pretty fucking mean and pretty fucking funny. Um, fat ass's death. It's brutal. It really shows us what Captain Hadley's about. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love that I never really, I never noticed, but I think I noticed subconsciously. And then when I was listening to the director's commentary, uh, Darabont uh, pointed it out. His the, his shooting of Fat Ass's death is from far away, mm-hmm. and it's all in one it's all in one frame. He wanted to not make this like an action scene, so there's no close ups of Hadley's baton striking him in the head and the spit flying out of his mouth and the blood flying out of his mouth <laughs> and the guy falling down in slow motion. There's none of that. <laughs> it is shown brutally and honestly. And his he said, sadly, his inspiration, I don't know if this will ring as much to you because of your age, but this meant a lot to me because this was big at the time. 
but the Rodney King videotape. Yeah, I, it's funny. Even before you said it, that that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, the example that comes to mind for me, and this is long after Shawshank, mm-hmm. but uh, there's a scene in Twelve Years a Slave uh, where um, the, the our main character, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, um, I think I'm saying that right, um, he's being hung from a tree, and the camera just kind of lingers on him. Yep. I mean, there are some cuts in that scene, but it is a long, uninterrupted scene of just looking at this guy hanging from a tree. Yep, and it's very uncomfortable, and you, it's an effective technique to kind of not let the audience off the hook to not let them look away and just say, Hey, look at this horrible, horrible thing that's happening. Not no frills, no, no explosions, no Michael Bay isms. Yeah. Just this bad thing that's happening that you kind of want to look away from. You can't hear yep. it is. And that's, that's sort of the idea I get from that scene. Cause you're right. It's just staring at this, this brutal, brutal beating. Yes. That being said, there is a line in the scene that makes me laugh. It's uh, Captain Hadley. I'm not going to count to three. I'm not even going to count to one. You will shut the fuck up or I will sing you a lullaby. (laughs) Clancy Brown is good in this movie. Next up, we have Red and Andy meeting for the first time. Mm -hmm. They're playing catch. Warms my heart. Mm -hmm. Got to have a little bit of baseball in our movies. Right. Uh, in real life, uh, they had to film this scene for nine hours. So that means Morgan Freeman was throwing a ball for nine hours. He was already pretty old at this point, I imagine. Probably. He was already probably... In his 40s? Yeah, at least. Apparently, uh, he didn't complain at all. Never said a word. Uh, but showed up on set the next day with his arm in a sling. Which makes perfect sense to anybody who has ever thrown a baseball to an yes. extended period of time. Yeah. So apparently Darebon said he was a complete professional. I had no idea that I was wrecking this man's arm <laughs> because Morgan Freeman never complained. Yeah, and I, I would have piped up. Uh, this scene, much like you said uh, earlier on as you were watching this movie, you were finding yourself having a hard time taking notes. Uh, this scene in particular, I don't know why. Uh, it happens every time I watch this movie. I start uh, voicing the dialogue along with the characters. Mm. I start saying exactly what they're going to say. I'm playing both parts. <laughs> I did it for the almost entirety of the scene, and I was like, you need to shut the fuck up and start writing shit down. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Even Even already in the movie, you've pointed out a couple of shots that – in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, that was beautiful. Like the shot of them coming out of the out of the jail cells or like coming towards the bars. Yep. That's a that's a great looking shot. And I'm normally watching for those sorts of things, but Shawshank just has me just has <laughs> me hooked. I'm just I'm just into it. Yeah. Uh we do get a little bit of a recurring joke, the start of a recurring joke in this scene. Uh, I hear you're a man who knows how to find things. Mm-hmm. I've been known to find things from time to time. Uh, I love it. Uh, we do. We also do get probably the biggest comedic moment in the movie. Uh, why they call you Red? I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm Irish. I I like that one. I thought you were even gonna say um, everybody in here is innocent. Uh, and then uh, lawyer, fuck me. Yeah, <laughs> that whole thing when they yell over uh, everyone in here is innocent. You know that? Hey, Wood, what are you in here for? Didn't do it. Lawyer, Lawyer fucked me. 
Oh, that's that's maybe my favorite comedic line in the movie. Yeah. Um, complete side note. Um, the reason that uh, that line about him saying maybe I'm Irish mm. is in the book. Um, the character Red is not black. He is actually Irish. Yeah. So that's why they put that in there as kind of like a little inside joke. Uh, we also get to see how Red smuggles things in. So it's a little I, I really like that entire sequence. The whole, the whole top to bottom, the whole distribution chain, who's getting paid off with what. Yep. Like that, that whole montage is really fun. And this is where it also sets up the escape because he gets his rock hammer, but Morgan Freeman downplays it. He's like, it would take somebody 600 years to dig out with that thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, that's right. Because for me, and maybe I guess I'll be interested. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's hard now with so much social media and memes and knowledge and stuff like that. A lot of people probably know, even if they haven't seen Shawshank, they probably know that he escapes, mm-hmm. right? I didn't in 94. So that talk about the hammer and stuff like that, all these setups they do for the mystery of the film, when you watch it the first time before you know anything about this film, oh, man, it is a delicious payoff. A delicious payoff. One of my favorite moments watching this with somebody who had never seen it before this time, uh, when I was watching with Emma, she called the hammer being in the Bible. She she completely called it, but it wasn't revealed right away, like where you would traditionally reveal it at the end of uh, the scene where they're, they're uh, going through his cell. Mm-hmm. Um, where you would traditionally reveal that the hammer is there is when the warden hands him the Bible back and he would just open it back up there and reveal yep. it to the audience. But it's not revealed till the end of the movie. So when she called it and it wasn't revealed, she was so disappointed. She was like, ah. <laughs> and I was just like sitting there waiting. And at the end of the movie, she like fist pumped. She's like, fuck yeah, hammer in the Bible. <laughs> um, next up, I have this section called <laughs> Rape, Routine, and Roofing. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's it dark but very succinct section name um we are introduced to the sisters and to importantly um one of the other antagonists in the film uh boggs who again having only seen this movie a couple of times i forgot just how little boggs is actually in the movie he's out of the movie very very quickly very quickly yeah in my head he's in it a lot more probably because the things that he does stand out quite clearly is this let's be honest this is literally every guy's nightmare about prison is yeah. is rape it's rape yeah right yeah it is in all honesty in all honesty i truly believe this is the biggest fear everybody ha- every guy has about going to jail is rape mm-hmm. i don't think very rarely has any guy ever been when you're talking about going to jail has anybody ever said like, "Oh, it would really suck to be stuck in that cell for twenty three hours a day"? Everybody's like, "I don't want to get raped." By all accounts, solitary confinement is among the worst tortures a human can endure. Yes, uh, but that's not what people talk about. No, and I'm not even saying that they're unjustified in that. Yes, they, they talk about the other thing, and there's a reason it's portrayed in movies like Shawshank or movies like American History X. There's a reason it's portrayed in the way that it is. Yes. It's- just one of the worst things a human being can endure. Yeah. The way 
that Darabont films this. Um, it's harsh, it's tense, it's scary, and the first rape scene is done so well. It is, I love, I guess, well, actually, the first rape scene, he doesn't get raped. That's where he gets beat. Yeah. And I love that the camera just leaves that room. It's, again, brilliant shot from Deacons, brilliant ideas from Darabont. This movie is so incredibly well-crafted. Um, <coughs> anything else you want to touch on with Boggs? Initially, uh, I'm, 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 we're not gonna, I'm, we're not quite getting to the finale of Boggs. This is just the beginning. Yeah. So, um, in this first scene where they, uh, where they have Andy cornered, isn't this the scene where he grabs a handful of, I think it must be lie, or something, grabs a handful of something and says, "This blinds you if it gets in your eye." And I love how in each of these scenes, as dark and as horrible as they are, Andy always has he always has something he's always using the room at his disposal or even his his intellect there's a scene later where he uh he all, he talks his way out of rape yeah. <laughs> he talks his way out of one of them uh and winds up only in air quotes getting away with a beating <laughs> yeah so i i just like uh his line his his delivery of the line he's like if you get this in your eye it'll blind you <laughs> i love bogs i love bogs reply honey <laughs> fucking just <laughs> so menacing <laughs> gross um red the routine is this is where they talk about and this is i guess one line that's kind of a little i don't know quite how to put it but <laughs> red says in voiceover i think these first two years were the worst for andy oh really the years that he was getting gang raped. Oh, you're you're certain those are the worst. <laughs> Did you actually ask him? Were those the worst years? The years that Boggs was still here and you were getting gang raped? Was that the were were those the worst years, or was it later when you were teaching people in the fucking library you got built? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was that was actually this was the first time I ever kind of noticed that line because I was looking for stuff. I was like, oh, come <laughs> on, come on. Um, but then we get into the roofing part and. I love the playfulness that these characters have with one another. They can really show that these guys have been friends for a long time in there. Uh, Red getting them the roofing job. I love when they're quote unquote pulling the names. Red has bribed his way into getting it. The voiceover is so perfect. Wouldn't you know it? Me and a couple guys I know get selected and then they show the shot of Haywood hands in his pockets just rocking back and forth just <laughs> so happy the editing is the king of this scene yes because the voiceover in and of itself is relatively innocuous but the combination of that with the uh, the shots of their their gang and the guards and the bribery and the yeah. shenanigans that's going on under the surface that combined with the voiceover makes for a really good comedic moment mm -hmm. uh then we get up onto the roof scene which and honestly, it's going to be – it's in my contention for best scene of the film. It is fucking tense, and I think part of what makes it so tense is that, A, we've set up our antagonist very well. We've set up yep. the guard. Uh, and uh, just before Andy goes up and talks to him, we get an awesome reaction from Morgan Freeman because Andy just sort of glances over his shoulder at – what's the guard's name again? Captain Hadley. Yeah, he glances over at Hadley. And sort of faces his body towards him like he's going to go walk over to him. And 
<laughs> Red looks up at him and is like, Andy, are you nuts? You know, he just has this awesome reaction. He's yep. like, keep tarring the roof. Like, what are you doing? You're going to get killed. And then he starts walking over to him and all the guys are like, fuck, what do we do? Yeah. This guy is about to get thrown off this fucking roof. And it's even better because Hadley's like, looks like one of our boys is about to have an accident. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we get that, and this is exactly where we get that shot that I personally love. Um, it's Hadley about to throw Andy off the roof, and Andy is telling him he knows he knows a way that Hadley can keep this money that he's been uh, that he's gotten from uh, his brother's will. This can be chalked up to Andy's. I don't know how, what you would call it, his asocial nature or his uh, slightly, um, his awkwardness, his shyness, mm-hmm. his lack of conversational ability, whatever you want to call it. There is a better way to begin yep. this conversation than do you trust your wife? Yeah. <laughs> to the guy who is notorious hothead and you have, on night number one, you watched him beat an innocent man to death. Well, a convict, but somebody, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. A man yes. who did not deserve to be beaten to death. No. Um, so you've already watched that happen. And then you walk up to him when you're super not supposed to and say, do you trust your wife? Why not lead with, I have a way you can keep all your money. Yeah. Lead with that. Yes. That's very crucial. Yeah. But, uh, but then I don't get that cool shot that I like. Exactly. Yeah. So it's fine. This might be one of Robin's best scenes in the film, uh, especially the moment when they are relaxing and enjoying the beer. Him just sitting there with that absolutely content and happy with life grin as he's sitting there, not even drinking beer himself, but enjoying the fruits of his labor. Mm -hmm. He has made these friends. He has rewarded them for their friendship. And he has had a little slice of a normal life. Because still at this time, we actually still don't truly know that he is innocent. Mm-hmm. And it's a great moment. And it's one of Robin's best scenes in the film, in my opinion. Yeah, this this scene just fills me with the warm and fuzzies. The, the entire movie is just a roller coaster of emotion, really. It hits the highs and it hits the lows. But man, what a high this is. This is the first hopeful moment in the movie that I get. I think it's right at sunset in my head. Yep. Um, and it just looks beautiful. Oh, and, shocker. Yeah. And and the moment that uh, I think the character's name is Hayward. Um, Haywood. Haywood. Excuse me. Uh, the moment where Haywood walks over and offers him a beer and he says, no, thanks. I don't drink. Just that is such a good character moment where mm-hmm. this guy has, he could have asked for anything in the world in that moment. He's saving this guard $35,000, and he could have asked for any kind of preferential treatment. And all he asked for was beers, and he doesn't even drink. And that's mm, something about that just hits me right in the stomach as you're in the gut. Awesome. Uh, next up, I have. Well, I, ha- I, I named it this part, but it doesn't, doesn't really. I, I put it in here for you. Uh, this is Chess and Rita Hayworth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought you would like the chess. They're not using chess to show that somebody's smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're using it for a completely different purpose. I do like that there's a conversation uh, about checkers. Yeah. And they say, chess, now that's a king's game. I gave a little little fist pump. <laughs> like, yeah, damn right, king's game. And a complete fucking mystery. Yeah, <laughs> and a complete fucking mystery. Uh, this is where we get the setup for the poster. And here is, speaking of editing... Which, if I'm not mistaken, 
this was nominated for Best Film Editing, was it not? It's nominated for a lot of things. So yeah, Best present. Film Editing. Okay. This is where an incredibly fantastic editing choice was made. This is where we notice while he is in his cell uh, shaping and polishing a rock with his rock hammer, he notices somebody's etched something into his, the cell wall. So he decides to use his rock hammer to do the same. And it shows him just starting and then cuts away. And this editing decision right here, because we see later on in the same shot, as he's carving, a chunk of the wall comes out. And he realizes, I can tunnel out of here if I want. If that had been left in in that moment, we know where everything is going for the rest of this film. And again, this is crucial for people that don't know anything about this movie or for me who saw it back in 1994 before there was an internet, before there was anything else. So not knowing that he was escaping was a huge part of this film. And I love that choice. So when he asks for Rita Hayworth while they're watching the movie Gilda, uh, it's great. But I don't know how – he doesn't ask for a poster. He just asks for Rita Hayworth. And then this gets the poster, which, again, all sets up the escape, which, again, we don't know anything about. I love that about this film. We talked a little bit about how one potential reason for this movie's lack of success at the box office was its title. Uh, I'm sure you know, but for those who don't, the title of the short story that it's based off of is actually Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, mm -hmm. uh, which is an even worse title somehow for a movie. Um, and uh, I saw, I'm sure you know this as well, I saw that a bunch of agents had contacted Frank Darabont in the lead up to the movie and they were casting, uh, trying to get their uh, the actress they were representing in the movie uh, because she would be perfect for the role of Rita Hayworth. And they loved the way she was written in the movie. Yes. Uh, in spite of her not being in the movie yes. <laughs> not being a character in the movie yeah um but yeah um th this whole thing with rita hayworth i'm i've never really understood how they were on the same page with this if you know what i like i don't like tim robbins goes up to morgan freeman and just asks for rita hayworth and it, maybe you can explain this to me is there a mutual understanding that he just means a poster or did morgan freeman just I don't know how they reached the same page with this because if somebody asks you for a person, my first, like, I don't know. Would you give them a photo? Would you give them a poster? I, my my understanding is that because he got a poster hmm. and because we see later on that the prisoners or maybe it's just Andy, Andy has a lot of other pictures posted up, other posters as well. But if you can see in his, in his cell as well, he has numerous other pictures hmm. posted all over his wall. So I think – him going up there, this would lead me to believe that other cellmates have posters in their respective cells as well. Mm -hmm. And so asking for Rita Hayworth is just implied that I want the poster of her. Let's see. I have another sort of gripe about the posters, but we can get to that in a later scene because it's relevant. It, my gripe is a decision that is made later that kind of relates back to the posters, but, but I'll enough. get to that in a bit. Okay. The last part of this is – well, there's two parts. Uh, Boggs' attack on Andy in the projecting room. And this is where you mentioned earlier he uses his intelligence to get out of being raped and instead is beaten within an inch of his life. Yeah. 
winner yeah. <laughs> score yeah <laughs> uh, i i'll be honest right now i don't know which one i'd rather have i don't know i'm probably pretty sure that while they're raping him they're probably not making sweet love <laughs> it's pr- it's probably pretty violent as well yeah, i'm gonna imagine so so probably well, what gave that away was it, was it that boggs told him that he likes likes it when he fights back yeah I, I i would guess so but uh it's uh again it's another tough scene but then we get a little moment where we actually cheer for captain hadley yeah because he beats up a rapist yeah surprisingly good guy captain hadley again who would have thought brilliantly shot scene use of shadows Mm -hmm. it's literally in an open cell and there's a beautiful shadow that we actually don't see hadley for half a second until boggs turns on the light and then Mm -hmm. hadley appears right there and then the shot from outside the cell where Boggs is trying to escape and, and he's plead being for dragged his life. back in. Yeah, yeah, and he's dragged back in like horror movie style. Yeah. It is awesome. Mm-hmm. That whole scene is uh, it's shot really well. It's edited really well and acted very well. Hmm. Shocker. <laughs> Next. The warden comes to Andy. This is where he comes into the scene or comes into his cell. The Bible which uh, Emma has uh, uh, called, called her shot. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Yep. Congratulations. I remember in the, in the, at the time when I saw it in the movie theater, this was not even in my mind at all. Yeah. Um, but, all, how about the salvation lies within the, the, their whole back and forth yeah. about quoting Bible verses to each other? I think Andy quotes a verse to him about uh, the master of the house uh, coming in and, and intruding on his space. Yep. Um, and then who is it that says salvation lies within? Is it, uh, the warden, it's the warden. It. yeah. He says salvation lies within. Yeah. yeah. Just fantastic. Uh, I'm always impressed by people who can quote the Bible and its reference. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I can, like I can quote movies, mm-hmm. but to do it at this level, I would have to be able to quote the movie and the fucking time frame that it was quoted in. Yeah. They're like, I can quote a couple books I've read. I can maybe throw out a couple quotes. Maybe, more importantly, I could probably quote a couple comic books I've read. But I wouldn't be able to tell you what issue it was from mm-hmm. or the page number. That is literally what they're saying. Yeah, but just to recontextualize it, it is one book. Or I guess depending on who you ask, it's like 60 books in one. But you know what I'm saying. It's one work. So it would be more like... I mean, let's take Back to the Future, for example. I'm sure you could probably give an approximate timestamp for if I gave you a couple quotes from Back to the Future. You might not be able to say it exactly, but you could tell me which act a particular quote was in. Like if I if I said uh, when we get when this baby gets up to 88 miles per hour, you're about to see some serious shit. If I just said that to you without context, you could tell me that's from the first act of Back to the Future. Right. How many chapters are in the Bible? I'm going to say, I think it's like 66, 65, something like that. That's awesome that you know that. What is it, 66? Let's see, quick math, 1,129. Oh, well, are we talking books or are we talking? There are 929 chapters in the Old Testament. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament. This gives a total of 1,189 chapters. On average, 18 per book. 
Okay, so then how many books? Because that's, that's sort of what I was contextualizing. I don't know. But, like, there's – what are the 73 books in in the Bible? Is that what we're looking at? I just I just Googled how many books in the Bible, and it came up with 66. Okay. So there's 66 books. Mm-hmm. But you're talking – like, they talk about, like, Mark – Mark, oh, yeah. Mark chapter one verse two. Like yeah. fuck that. I'm sorry. That's inc- that's literally telling you what fucking line is in that bi- that it's from in the Bible. I, could, I can't do that. I could maybe do two, literally two of those. But again, I was not raised religiously. I could do um, in the beginning God created heaven and the earth. That's uh, Genesis Genesis one verse one. Okay. Uh, and then yeah, that's like the first line in the entire Bible. And then there's um, John three sixteen, and God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. I think that's I think that's what that is. How okay. that goes? Those are the only two I can do because John three sixteen is the one that's like on every bumper sticker ever made and stuff like that. Yeah. So you know that because of like bumper stickers and stuff like that, not because you've read the Bible. Have you read the Bible? No, I own a Bible. I don't with own the a Bible. intention of having read it, but it's the King James, and the King James is the one that's especially a snooze. That's the one that's in like old English, was written in like the 1600s. I'm sure if I got like if I got like a new, ver- I don't even know what the new versions are called. It might just be called I don't know new version or something like that. But I've read I've read parts of the Bible. Okay, well l- let me let me put it like this: like the Jordan hmm. is a massive Harry Potter fan. Yeah. Let's say. Which, uh, well, no, we went with the movies. Do you know which one's her favorite book? I think it's also Azkaban. Okay, Azkaban. Do you think if I asked her for a quote, she'd be able to tell me what page number it was on? No. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about yeah, here. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. It's insane. Mm-hmm. It's insane to me that people can do this. And I, we know, we know, like, yes, this is a movie, but we know that there are people that can do this. It's, oh, yeah, completely. It's always, it's always impressed me. Mm-hmm. It's probably the only thing about religion that impresses me. Ayo. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, the salvation lies within is great. Uh, it's a really, it's a really great scene. And then again, if you've never seen this movie, when you watch it the second time, knowing everything, or at the end of the movie, the first time you watch, it, you're like, oh, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> salvation lies within. Perfect. Yeah. And he just throws it back at him. You were right, Warden. Salvation lies within. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Uh, and then Andy gets a new job with Brooks. I love Brooks. Who doesn't? Right? Brooks is the most lovable character in this movie. The first time we meet him, he's he's getting a maggot from, uh, from Andy to feed to a then baby bird, Jake. Is, he, is Jake a raven? Crow. Crow? Okay. Yeah. Couldn't really tell. Um, that scene, I have a note about it. You want to hear about it? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, the American Humane Society monitored the filming of the scenes involving Brooks Crow. During the, <laughs> this is awesome. During the scene where he's fed a maggot, the Humane Society objected on the grounds that it was cruel to the maggot <laughs> and required that they use a maggot that had died from natural causes. Oh, boy. <laughs> One was found. And the scene was filmed. Now, Darabont talks about this in the commentary track. He pleaded with them. He's like, I can go down to the corner store and buy maggots and put it on a fish hook. I can stick a hook through it. So he's like, it's perfectly legal for anybody not filming a movie to do this. But because I'm filming a movie, it is illegal for me to do this. Yeah, it's ridiculous. (laughs) 
That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Brooks is adorable. Uh, Andy gets a job with within the library, and both of them are confused as to why, and then mere moments later we find out the reason. But Brooks has a line in this scene that I have – I used to say it all the time, but then I have changed it. I used to say all the time, just like Brooks, easy peasy, Japanesey. And then I figured I'm like Japanesey might not be wanted. To might say. not be might not be in vogue anymore. Yeah, so I now say lemon squeezy. Yes, but uh, I won't lie, I completely stole that. I said it for years. <laughs> Easy peasy Japanesey, and yep. not one person ever said, "Hey, that's from Shawshank." I always dreamed. I'm like, "Yeah, it's from Shawshank." Not yeah. to be. Who would have thought that the guy who was in prison from like 1905 to 1955, something like that? Uh, who would have thought that that guy, uh, not the most culturally enlightened person in the world yeah but he wasn't he wouldn't have been angry towards the japanese because that's pre-world war ii that's true so there's no reason for him to be angry at the japanese unless yeah he would have he would have heard about pearl harbor because the movie starts in 1946 which is post-world war ii true yeah so he would have like heard about pearl harbor and stuff i imagine he'd be kind of choked about that true but regardless i don't think i don't that's not his intention in this he's literally just making a funny rhyme in the yeah, movie yeah i don't think easy peasy japanesey is like a racist dig in any way no 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 no, no. Yeah. that's not, not what i'm getting at at all yeah. i'm just saying like as far as what would be considered i'll use that term again in vogue these days yeah. this would not be this would not be it Maybe I'll start saying it again and see if people call me out on it. <laughs> okay, I'll call you out right now. I don't think you should say that. <laughs> You're gonna call me out right now before I even said it? You already you kinda already said it. Alright, easy peasy Japanese. Yeah. Hey, don't say that. I'm gonna keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's next? Uh this is where we find out uh they're testing the waters for Andy and he starts doing some tax work, banking work for the guards. And then guards from other places, and then from more and more. So another baseball reference, yay! Yay! <laughs> of the intramural season, intramural being, season uh, being delayed. And so they came he... in their jerseys too. I loved it. Yeah, they can. So he can do the taxes for an undisclosed number of teams. Yes. Assuming this is uh, assuming this is proper MLB roster size, <laughs> and assuming this tur- th- I'm, I'll assume this league has at least four teams. Uh, so that you can play against multiple different teams and have a proper playoff structure if you wish. That means he is doing the taxes for at least 100 people. Minimum 100 people. Yep. Every tax season. Yep. That's pretty good. And probably a little closer to 200, I would imagine. I would say so. Yeah. Free of charge. Free of charge. Free of charge. Next up, we have um, Brooks gets out. Brooks is released. He's super not happy about it. Super not happy about it. Willing to murder a friend. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at Manny right now. He's getting frustrated at his microphone. <laughs> this, is, this is as tight as it goes. It's not going to go any tighter. Yeah, well, you might have to turn it into a handheld at some point. Brutal. <laughs> I don't even think I have my other stand. Yeah, maybe not. Whatever. Anyway. Um, yeah, Brooks uh, gets out. And uh, the Brooks was here sequence. That is right here, right? Like, that's, yep. like, immediately after. Yep. This whole here. The Brooks was here sequence uh, doesn't bring me to tears, but gets me gets me in the throat yep. a little bit. It's 
it's a hard sequence to watch and i don't know how i don't know anybody really who defends the american prison system but i know they exist and i don't know how you can watch this and be like this is what rehabilitation looks like this is this is what this system is supposed to be releasing somebody after they have after the world has passed them by uh with no skills to develop releasing them when they're air quotes no longer a danger to society and just letting them fucking rot this is what's supposed to happen this is great yeah i don't know how you can watch this and and feel that we get a great little monologue i guess slash dialogue um about being institutionalized Mm -hmm. uh it's in this scene in particular where Morgan Freeman and my dad have very similar speaking traits mm. and um, I guess act, I don't want to say acting traits, but like action movements. Mm-hmm. There is a, it's when he's talking about being institutionalized and I, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's sitting behind him and Morgan Freeman turns and does like this double kind of head nod as he's trying to emphasize something. My dad does that all the time. Oh yeah. I, I, every time I see him, I'm like, Morgan Freeman. Dad. <laughs> uh, yeah, Brooks's letter, as we as they as he does the voiceover for his own letter as the guys are reading it, uh, it's played out so well. And then the suicide. I remember not really seeing that coming right away, and then as soon as he stands still on that table for a second, I'm like, oh. <gasps> No, mm. and then he just starts doing the rocking. Uh, it's so well shot and so perfectly done. This is a fantastic scene that's still not much fun to sit through. No, this is one of, I think I feel comfortable saying this, it's one of the most impactful scenes in a movie on me. It gets me in the feelings directly every mm-hmm. time. It affects me deeply. It makes me sad that this is what people go through, what institutionalized people go through. It makes me sad for Brooks. It makes me sad for Jake who was just his friendly little bird friend, and he's out doing his own thing, and he doesn't even know that Brooks is dead, and it makes me sad. And his, actually, his friends don't even know that he's dead because he doesn't mention his letter, right? He just All he says is that he's not going to stay at the halfway house. Yep. He doesn't mention that he's going to kill himself. And he says, I don't, I don't imagine they'll, they'll make much of a fuss. Brooks is just the sweetest old man. He's the sweetest old man, and this fate is just terrible for him, and it makes me sad. It's in lesser hands that they would have had Jake show up at that park yeah, with the pigeons. And Brooks says that. He's like, sometimes I wish – I keep thinking Jake will show up, but he never does. Mm-hmm. I love that he didn't because in a schmaltzy movie, they would have given that moment for Brooks and Jake. Well, and this scene is about him going into a world that he doesn't recognize. Mm-hmm. So having any semblance of a world that he does, like having Jake show up, for instance, would be a massive misstep. Yep. In, in my opinion, just be a massive misstep. It would completely undercut the purpose of the scene. Um, so it's really good. And there's, for some reason, this line in this scene always, always gets me. Or I don't even really say it gets me, but it's just, it's a nice little line. It's him saying, the world went and got itself in a in a damn big hurry. Or some, something to that effect. Yep. The world went and got itself in a damn big hurry. And I just, that just encapsulates the progress of the world so well for some reason i mean we've felt that even certainly since 1994 when shawshank came out we've felt that in the last 25 years the world has definitely gone and gotten itself in a big damn hurry Mm -hmm. and i can only imagine being locked up for 50 years and and seeing 
cars everywhere for the first time. There was an interview I saw um, of uh, a convict who had been released after 40 years in jail being released and i think it was like 2015 2016 and he talked about how strange it was like he couldn't figure out why uh everybody had these things in their ears walking around walking around downtown he said he thought everybody had turned into secret agents or something and <laughs> everybody was looking down at the ground and he couldn't figure out why and it's just he had been transported into a different world yeah yeah i can wow. only, i can only imagine what that sort of transformation would be like oh amazing yeah. uh next up the book and the records arrive, and we have the opera scene. One of the best parts of the movie. I agree. However, <laughs> this is what I wanted to talk about earlier when I said there's something with the posters. N knowing now that Andy has been digging this tunnel for X amount of years, this opera move is a risky maneuver. Because if the guards decide to go in there and tear your shit down as a punishment, like, oh... You're going you're gonna to make us look like idiots? Guess who doesn't get posters anymore? Guess who doesn't get chess pieces anymore? Guess who doesn't get all this? Oh, what's this behind Rita Hayworth? It's a fucking tunnel. How about we beat you to death? Yeah, I have that exact note. My exact note is huge risk considering his jail cell and the poster. Yeah. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, but the scene itself is majestic. Mm -hmm. It is, again, this is actually, here is, I actually kind of forgot this because it, I guess I kind of take it for granted, but this is another one of the iconic shots in the movie. Feet up on the desk? <clears throat> nope. The, uh, it's out in the yard, and all the prisoners looking up at the speaker in the yard. It's sweeping. The camera moves slowly moves up. You see all the prisoners looking up at the speaker, and then the shot ends on the speaker. Uh, it's a beautiful shot. One of the things I like about that shot and this scene in general is that nobody really rejoices. Nobody is, like, overly excited. Everyone just pauses and listens for yep. a moment. They just want to kind of savor it. They don't, yes. they don't need elation. We don't need that. They just, want, they just want a moment. They just want a moment of peace. It's a moment of peace, and I th in my opinion, I always felt they're getting a taste of freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, this scene, every time I watch it, almost makes me cry, but it had never has. It's just so beautiful. And I can tell you right now, in the in the theater when I saw this in ninety, well, it would have been ja probably January of ninety five. Mm. This hit me hard. Didn't make me cry, but I was just like, I think it's I think it's here where I realized I was watching something special. I like. Um, I mean, we haven't heaped too much praise on Tim Tim Robbins as of yet, uh, but I like how, at least in my opinion, the look on his face in that desk as he's sitting there knowing that he's about to get fucked up for, for what he's doing. The look on his face is very similar to the look on his face uh, during the scene we've already seen with the beers on the roof. Mm -hmm. He has that same look of contentment on his face. Like he's just doing something nice for his people. He's giving them a taste of freedom. Like you said, he's yeah. giving them a little taste of hope even. Um, and that's worth it to him. Just that little moment of beauty in this, in this fucked up place is worth it to him. And even as the even as Hadley's knocking on the window and telling him that he's gonna he's gonna mess him up. You're mine now, Dufresne. Yeah. He he doesn't he, he's still cracking a smile. The yep. smile does not fade from his face, he doesn't have a moment of regret. He's fully accepting his fate in that moment and he just wants he just wants it. He just wants the moment for him and his friends. I love it. After he gets out of his stint in the hole, um, they have a scene in the mess hall, uh, and this is the first talk of hope. 
and which is the major theme of this whole film. Hope is a dangerous thing. It is. That's what Red says, I think, in this scene. Yeah. Uh, absolutely fantastic scene. Uh, and then we also get the harmonica as well as a, uh, a parole rejection gift mm-hmm. <laughs> for a year. This would be year 30. Yeah. Parole rejection gift. And I like the way they talk about these parole hearings as well. Like somebody even says, I think it's after um, Red's 20-year parole hearing. I think it's Haywood who says, oh, "I'm up for rejection next week." No, it's not. It's not Haywood. It's one of the other two guys. Yeah, but one, one of the one of the other inmates yeah. says, "I'm up for rejection next week." Just sort of an in joke. Like nobody gets nobody gets their parole. Yep. Uh, we get the new library. Uh, he has continued to get more funds, and they finally just give in. Uh, this is the point. This is now a decade into Andy's sentence. We are now three decades into red sentence and he's basically i feel here with the building of the library and he has now accepted his life into in the prison he wants to improve the quality of life inside the prison and now he wants to actively help others i think the what he did with the opera and the music ignited something in him that feeling of hope and I think he wants to pass those feelings of hope along. So the building of the, the Brooke Hadlin Memorial Library uh, and the helping others get their GED and in continuing their education allows Andy to have a semblance of some sort of life. And it's beautiful. The shot of the sign that says, uh, is it Brooke Hadlin? Haddon? Brooke Hadlin. Brooke Hadlin Memorial Library. Ugh. Just, it's not even mentioned. It's not. I don't think there's even a, a voiceover nope. word about it. Nope. You just see you see Red making the sign, and then you see the sign up. Awesome. Beautiful. So cute. Yeah. Uh, the introduction to the Inside Out program, which is where uh, the super not slavery. Su- it super is not definitely slavery. not slavery. Nope. Not slavery at all. Nope. And there's definitely still not things happening like this today. Definitely, definitely not. not. American American prisoners working for a dollar an hour? Not happening. Completely not. Weird that you'd even suggest it. The funny thing is, is it's it's played off, it's introduced, and little do we know how important this is to the impact of this whole film. Mm-hmm. Because it's this where the wardens, even though he's been... Actually, up to this point, he really hasn't been much of an antagonist Hadley has but the warden hasn't it's here and his greed and his corruption begins to seep in in him where he starts to become the true villain Mm. of the film and he has Andy doing the books and we find out that this whole system is corrupt and we learn about a gentleman by the name of Randall Stevens. Who, great payoff, by the way, with this Randall Stevens. This just seems like, Andy just seems to delight in, that was something that bothered me the first time watching this movie, is Andy is cooking the books for this maniac, and he just seems to actively delight in helping this guy out, and that bothered me the first time watching it, until, <laughs> of course, we get the reveal, and he's, yes. he's had this whole plot all along. So this scene in the library where he's explaining to Red um, this alter, this 
uh, what does he call him? An apparition. He's created an apparition. He's created a completely fake person. And he just seems, he seems like he's beaming yeah. over it. I'm like, what the fuck? You're helping a dude, like, exploit your friends. Yeah. Aren't you bummed about that? But he's got a plan. He's got a plan. I like it. Then we meet Tommy. Yeah. Great song introduction. What's the song introduction? No idea, but it's that it's that heavy guitar. Mm. Just a complete rock and roll rebel tune. I don't know what it is. I couldn't tell you. Hmm. But it's completely different because prior to this, we've had opera music. We've had a little bit of Hank Williams. Mm -hmm. And then Tommy shows up, and it's rock and roll. Yeah, it's in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. And he has sideburns. Greaser haircut. Yep. And he's just a complete breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. Not that the air's stale, but his whole mannerism is completely different to everything that's gone on in this film. And it shifts here, and both Gil Bellow's performance and his his role is going to upend this movie even more. And it again, it just shows the brilliance of this film. You know, this is something that's just occurring to me now. But what a challenge for the movie. Uh, this movie takes place over 19 years. Uh, I guess probably even 20 if you consider the very beginning and the very end before before and after they're in prison. And they need to show the passage of time in a place that is very static. Yes. In a place that is not connected to the outside world. That's a very challenging thing for a filmmaker. How do you show the passage of 20 years when you don't get to see the changes of cars, the different music on the outside? There's no TV sets. There's no nothing. Um, And they have these ways of inserting this into the movie. Introducing characters like Tommy, who have sort of this rocker persona. Even the changing of the posters with, uh, with Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is a way of showing the passage of the time. There's a lot of very creative ways of, of showing that. Yeah. Uh, Tommy's revealing of Andy's innocence was a massive revelation in 95 when mm-hmm. I saw it in the theater. I was like, <gasps> he's actually innocent. Yeah. not. In- <laughs> I think it's Haywood again who says, he's, he's innocent. Not innocent like us. <laughs> yeah. Like, actually innocent (laughs) yeah and it's really well done how they have tommy telling the story and then they have a flashback where we see elmo block elmo block elmo blatch blatch Blatch. i think it's blatch Elmo elmo blatch elmo blatch uh the elmo blatch flashback adds to the impact of the scene I think it helps out even more because if we just had Tommy just telling the story, we'd be like, we we would feel maybe the same way that the warden is feeling. Tommy has feelings, feelings for Andy and wants to impress him. Mm-hmm. But because we get the flashback of Elmo saying this, it hits home even more. Again, brilliant filmmaking. Elmo Blatch flashback. Try yeah. saying that ten times fast. <laughs> uh, here's one of my other nitpicks about the movie. Andy goes and tells the warden. Andy would call his lawyer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He definitely would. Yes. Would he get a phone call? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I'm just, I'm just trying to think. Shawshank, like prison system in the 40s, just makes sense to me that 
the warden wouldn't allow this one way or another. Like, the warden would be very suspicious of Andy trying to make a phone call. Could be. I mean, at any rate, Andy is smart enough to know he should at least be trying to call his lawyer. Yes, or sending a letter. <laughs> yeah, he goes with the warden. Yeah, that's, that never even occurred to me. It, it It's occurred to me for a long time. Hmm. That, why are you going to tell the warden? Mm-hmm. You are working for somebody who is corrupt. And who directly benefits from you remaining in prison. Yes. So... It, it never bothers me to the point where it derails the movie because then it obviously this is where a bunch of the tension and the warden truly reveals his true persona mm-hmm. to us and uh, we get to hate him. <laughs> Which is great because yeah. he sucks. Uh, I love I love um, Bob Gunton's performance as the warden. I love that he shows restraint. He doesn't – even when he does kind of yell, it's not the over-the-top yelling that you would usually get from this type of character. Mm. Like when he's called obtuse, you can see that Gunton is fucking choked. Like, mm-hmm. did you just fucking call me obtuse? Mm. You're a fucking prisoner. <laughs> he gets angry, but it's not like this fucking big explosion yell. He just raises his voice. And he, he sort of he yeah. erects his spine a little bit yeah. and sits up in his chair. Yeah. And he he, he – Definitely does a good job of coming off as like an authorita- authoritarian, like sort of like hard conservative Christian. Yeah. Um, yeah, authoritarian guy. And then we get to hate him more because he murders Tommy. What a great scene. Um, I'm curious to know your initial reaction upon watching it in the theater if you sort of saw where this scene was going. Uh, because it's set up very convincing on the one hand of the warden reveals to Tommy and is being sort of halfway truthful that he's grappling with what the right thing to do is. He doesn't know what the right thing to do is. And he's like, I need to know a hundred percent certain what it is that, you know, before I take action on this. And I feel like to a first time viewer, that could mean I need to know a hundred percent that Andy is innocent before I go uh, taking steps to set him free. But that's not what we get. Yeah, <laughs> that's not at all. What we it get. was. It was shocking. Mm-hmm. It was shocking. I, I didn't see Tommy's murder coming. Again, this is like when I watched this. This is pre-internet. This is pre, like podcasts. This is pre. This is all. Pre, this is pre the big influx of movie twists. This is the. Oh, this year. is pre M Night Shyamalan. This, this is pre Six Sense. This is pre Six Sense. This is pre Seven pre-usual suspects this Mm. is the year before all this yeah right so it's like the 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 trend of movie twists and stuff like that hasn't hit so tommy's murder was well not like jaw-dropping shocking was unexpected Mm. and i miss that innocence (laughs) (laughs) i miss that innocence so it, it hit and i was it it worked so well because it made me hate both Hadley and and the warden even more. When the warden comes down to the hole to tell him about the death. Tommy's tragic and untimely death. Yes. It broke Captain Hadley's heart to kill that man. <laughs> I was like, you motherfucker. But one of the... I, I love choices. I love when actors make great choices. 
and this is what I was getting at. Robbins tells him everything will stop. He's not going to do it anymore. Normally, this is where an actor will t- use this opportunity to freak out and to over-accentuate and just fucking flip out angry. Gunton steps closer and talks in a menacing whisper. <laughs> Doesn't raise his voice, but changes his tone. And that whole scene, you're just like, this guy's in control. Do you got it? Or am I being obtuse? (laughs) Chills. Chills. Fantastic. (laughs) Absolutely fantastic. And he reveals in that moment, even though he is motivated by money, and even though he is scum, and even though he is manipulative, and he is, this is all part of a grand scheme, he's also petty. That line just reveals just what a petty, small man he is at his Mm -hmm. core. Is that... It's not only about the money. It's that in that moment, in the previous scene where he got called obtuse, he didn't have control for a split second, and that irked him. Yep. So now he needs to come in. Am I being obtuse? Do I have control now? What a fucking weasel. I hate him. Excellent scene. Awesome. And he gets out of his two, three-month stint in the hole? Well, he gets one month at first. Yeah. Warden comes in, says, give him another month to think it over. So I think two months. Two months. Andy comes out, has now, we are unaware, has now made the decision that he's getting out as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. We get this great scene with just Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. Mm -mm -mm. The scene where they talk about Zewatanejo. (laughs) Zewatanejo. Which is funny. Is Zewatanejo perhaps most obscure name that I will never forget. Yeah, that's that is the most random little Mexican village. It does actually exist and apparently it's become quite a tourist attraction in the intervening years between yeah, even uh, though that yeah. scene was never filmed in Zewatanejo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was filmed in uh shit, I knew this. I was just listening to it. Fuck. I'm not gonna be able to remember. But it's not they they did not film in Zewatanejo. No. What if Reddit forgotten the name? I, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we I always wondered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What if you'd forgotten the names? Like Zewatneo is not a very intuitive. Like forget about forgetting how it's pronounced or how it's spelled. How are you gonna find that on a map? Yeah. Uh. This is just an absolutely great moment between these two actors. Morgan is shockingly spectacular. Mm-hmm. Robbins. He's okay here. He's the way he's playing everything. Uh, as great as the scene is, I think Robbins is just not living up to what Morgan's doing here. Mm. So it's always bothered me the way he's act the way he's acting after coming out of the hole. I understand that he's supposed to be broken and probably completely fucked up mentally, but I just I've never been a fan of Robbins in this scene. He tells Red about the tree and the volcanic glass rock that has no business being there. And you can see Morgan's just like, why are you telling me this? Yeah, like, what the fuck? And then it all, the pieces start to line up. And again, in 94, we're all thinking, we have no idea that this movie is about hope. Because mm-hmm. we've seen Brooks commit suicide. We've seen Hadley 
murder a quote unquote innocent man. We've seen <laughs> we've seen Hadley and the warden gun down somebody that did not deserve to die. This movie is bleak. And so everything they're setting up here is that And he's about to go do the deed. Yes. And this movie in no way, shape or form, has given you any clues whatsoever that we're gonna have a happy ending. And I loved this build-up. And the next morning, that guard comes, and they have the shot where it looks like he's looking up at probably a hanging body. And you're just like, holy fuck. But then you realize that he's escaped. And you're like, what? What is the first clue that he's escaped? Is it uh, is it the warden opening the shoes, opening up the shoe box? Yeah, and the shoes have been switched, and then the uh, and then the whole then the alarm goes off. Yeah, and the then silence. you're like, oh, he's not dead. Yeah, he's escaped. Yes. Yeah. And then we get that, as you rightfully said, the iconic shot from. Well, I love the I love. The warden getting upset in the cell, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, <laughs> "Where the fuck is he? Mm-hmm. How did he just disappear through however many inches of solid concrete? Yeah, how did this happen?" And uh, I think he, I think he's when he's talking to Raquel Wetch. What about you, fuzzy britches? <laughs> I love that he's throwing the rocks. The rock sculptures, mm-hmm. everyone's ducking, and then he throws one at the poster, and you don't get the intended sound that you think. You hear a rip, and a ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And then you get that sh- very, uh, you're rightfully to call it iconic, is from inside the whole shot. That has yeah. always been, after after the the iconic shot from the movie, the, the, pan, yeah. the pan up of yeah. him uh, standing in the water, in the rain. Um, after that, I always think of the shot from the tunnel of it's sort of a, I guess it would be a dolly, not a zoom out. It would be a dolly out yep. uh, of them uh, looking down the tunnel. It's a fucking awesome shot. It's fantastic. <laughs> the, then we get the escape flashback. Mm-hmm. So fun and so brilliantly done. Him, uh, him hammering the pipe with the lightning so that it's not making, uh, so the sound is drowned out. Yeah. Awesome. What happened if it didn't rain that night? Well, he could have he could have bided his time, I guess. He didn't specifically say that he was going to kill himself that night, did he? No. Oh, but, but he did, but he did switch the shoes. Yeah. And oh. put the 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 Bible in the safe. Mm-hmm. So it was that he was, the- he was keeping an eye on the forecast. <laughs> For sure. So yeah, again, minor quibble. I'm I mean, sure... he could he still could have escaped. It just you know would have been a lot riskier. Um, crawling through that sewer pipe, man. Of all the things in this movie that you and I have already said we wouldn't be able to endure, ugh, the, the crawl, the crawl to freedom through, uh, they say five football fields of shit, five hundred yards. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. Also. Uh, how much airflow was going through there? Yeah, you're thinking suffocation. Yeah, like him getting maybe 200 yards and then passing out. Yeah, not designed to have a human go through it. No. Ugh. 
Um, then we get the iconic shot in the rain. Yeah. Uh, I love that whole, that I love that whole escape flashback scene. Yeah. It's an excellent, excellent sequence. It's so much fun. And I can only imagine how good for a variety of reasons, crawling out of that drain pipe and into, into the water and getting rinsed of everything. I mean, there's symbolism out the wazoo in this yeah. scene, but even just the literal sense of being rinsed of everything, um, all that sewage that you've just climbed through. Like, that's just such a euphoric and, uh, oh, there's a, there's a word. Um, it begins with a C. I can't remember it. Oh, cathartic? Man. Yes, that's the one. Thank you. Usually I'm the one helping you out. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a cathartic feeling. Yeah. I can only imagine. Uh, so he ends up with 370K. Uh, I did the inflation. Uh, it's uh, $3 million today. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, Solid little nest egg. The Another minor quibble, but again, just trying to find things to nitpick. Uh, so we get the whole, he's escaped. Uh, he sent the ledger to the uh, paper, and the newspaper prints the story before the cops have come to arrest the warden. Yeah, that's a that's a problem right there. And yeah. I don't mean from a storytelling sense, even though it is, but yeah. Whew, that is a that is a nightmare. Yeah. Go ahead. There is I don't want to skip over the warden's uh ultimate demise. Yeah. But I'm sure you probably have the trivia note on this scene as well that I that I found while I was reading this movie. Um while the guard is being arrested, while Hadley's being arrested, uh the cops are reading him his Miranda rights, which Second week in a row, we get to talk about Mir- about Miranda rights. <laughs> uh, that uh, the Miranda rights Supreme Court case passed in 1965, which resulted in all officers having to read somebody their rights when they're arresting them. So in 1966, this escape happens. All these officers are reading the Miranda rights from a card because yep. they, they don't have them memorized yet. Yes, <laughs> super cool. Great, awesome. great little detail that doesn't need to be included. But I, I love, love that kind of I stuff. I love it. Yeah. Uh, he opens a safe. Finds the Bible mm-hmm. with the cutout, I guess. Yeah. Might as well have just cut out a middle finger. Just, <laughs> Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So great. Uh, he kills himself. So he, I guess he gets off easy, right? Yeah. But gets what he deserves, though. I would have rather him have R- to go to prison. Rot in the prison system that he, uh, that he, yeah, exacerbated. Yeah. I, I could have done with that too. Yeah, let the sisters get a hold of him. Yeah, well, well, maybe different sisters because Boggs, uh, I think, is out of the uh, game. Yeah. Uh, then we get Red's parole, his forty-year parole, with a fantastic monologue. Question. Answer. Best acted scene in the movie. Ooh. This is my favorite scene, performance-wise, in the movie. I think. Morgan yeah. Freeman has a lot of good scenes. Yeah. No. It I I it is. Mm-hmm. It is. You can sense It's that. It's that or institutionalized. Yeah. Different kinds of moments. There's the institutionalized moment where he's explaining exactly what it means. I think that's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um that scene I get sort of frustration out of him or impatience. Yeah. This scene is sort of I guess it's also frustration and impatience. It's both of those things too, but it's also acceptance. Just like, this is my situation. I now understand. I'm, 
I've now been in the system for 40 years. I'm probably like pushing 60. I think he said he got arrested at 18. Um, so I've been in the system for a long time. I now get how it works and you don't. So quit wasting my fucking time. I get it now and you don't. Leave me alone. Yep. That being said, would this work? I don't know that this would work. This this monologue. Like he winds up getting paroled. Yeah. I don't know that this would happen. Who knows? Who knows? Like we don't know exactly everything they're looking for. Yeah. In a in a parole. Like are they looking for uh a rehabilitation? Is this person is this person no longer going to be a threat? Mm-hmm. And I think they see right now they he talks about in this monologue how he wishes he could go back and tell that young man the mistake he's gonna be. So this so they've now seen that Red has fully realized the mistakes he's made. Mm-hmm. He's not handing them the bullshit answers he was the previous two parole hearings. Yeah. So I think they realize that this man has realized the true nature of the evil that he has done and is now a better person after all this time. Yeah, because I guess a part of that job, regardless of the exact person performing that duty, the, that job, a big part of it would be seeing through that bullshit, seeing through that facade. Has this person changed? Can we say that for 100% sure? And the first two times he does it, he's just he's reading off a script. And yeah. I don't I don't mean Morgan Freeman is reading a script. I mean, Red is just like he's rehearsed this. He knows verbatim what it is he's going to say. Just to, he's always he's not he's not he's trying too hard to prove that he that he's a changed man. And then the third time, yeah, he says, yeah, I've changed, but like I don't know how to convince you guys of it. So just fuck off and leave me be. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, he gets paroled, mm-hmm. and he's trying to adjust to life on the outside, much like Brooks. Mm-hmm. He gets the Brooks Hadland suite. He gets Brooke Haslam's job. The voiceover work here is superb. Absolutely superb. I I wonder how well this movie could have been without voiceover. I don't think it would carry the same weight it does. Not at all. Then he decides the same thing Brooks does, except he's going to deal with it in a much more productive way. Decides to. I love the line. He says, uh, I'm only going to be the second time I've broken the law mm-hmm. in my life, and it's a parole violation. So he heads up to Buxton to go find this thing to fulfill his promise to Andy. And he searches around, and he finds it. And I love the acting we get here. His excitement when he finally finds the tree. His nervousness as he looks around, finally finds the rock that he's looking for. And then his actual look of shock when he finds the tin. And I love the subtle acting he does as he's looking around. Yeah. I love that he does it twice. I think it's a brilliant little piece of character. Mm -hmm. And then we get the letter. And I remember in the theater being filled with joy. Filled with joy. And he is alive and he's left left the trail. Yeah. Then Red's trip jumps on the bus. He's got his money. Voiceover work as he heads to Mexico. I love that they don't we don't have to follow him as he who cares how he crosses the border. 
all we want to see is him and Andy together. Hmm. I love this last monologue. It is in my favorite quotes. And we get the great scene on the beach. I really like this ending. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. But I just want to pose something to you. I'm not even sure I believe this myself. Just kind of thinking out loud. Maybe you you can help me out. So the movie, as we've established, is about hope. And it's not only about hope leading you to making the right decisions and to succeeding. It's about hope and its merits for its own sake. Hope in and of itself being a good thing regardless of outcome, I, I, I think. So does the ending make a little more sense if we cut to black or fade to black? On the bus? On the bus. That's where Frank Darabont wanted the movie to end. I think thematically, even though I like the ending on the beach, I don't really have a problem with it. I just kind of wonder if the if the ending is a little bit more thematically accurate if we don't see them reunite. Because it's about hope for its own merit and for its own sake. It is. I can guarantee you this would not be my second favorite movie of all time if it didn't have the beach scene. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. There's no fucking way. Because as I was watching this movie, I kept wondering, like, am I going to cry? And the whole lead up, I was like, no, I'm not going to cry. I'm loving this movie. I'm going to cry. Mm-hmm. Nope. As soon as we get that fucking beach, I wasn't bawling, but I cried. And that's also the analytical side of me is like, yeah, this, this movie's better if we don't see that final scene. But I'll be damned if that if that embrace on the beach isn't – like you can, you can hear my voice changing right now even. Like that's, yep. that, is, that is a moment for, for film history right there. It's fucking spectacular. It's one of the most – I'm going to steal your word, cathartic. It's one of the most cathartic moments in, in the last 30 years in cinema. It is absolutely awesome. That's Shawshank. Cool. All right. At the end of the movie, there's a dedication to Alan Green. He was Frank Starbond's agent and a close personal friend. He died just before completion of the movie due to AIDS. Hmm. Andy and Red's opening chat in the prison yard in which Red is throwing a baseball took nine hours to shoot. Uh, Morgan Freeman threw the baseball the entire nine hours without a word of complaint. He showed up to work the next day with his left arm in a sling. Morgan Freeman has stated this is his favorite film of his own. I was about to say with certainty that it's mine too as far as his performance, but God, Seven is up there too. Seven, Unforgiven, Shawshank Redemption, Lean on Me. Those are your your Mount Rushmore performances? Yeah. Okay. Um, Stephen King never cashed his $5,000 check for the rights to this film. Several years after the movie came out, King got the check framed and mailed it back to Frank Darabont with a note inscribed, quote, in case you ever need bail money, love, Steve, end quote. <laughs> um, despite the film's box office failure, Warner Brothers shipped 320,000 rental copies to U.S. video stores, a figure a spokesman freely admits was out of whack with the film's performance in theaters. The film became the most rented video of 1995 and one of the highest grossing video rentals of all time. Which is funny because the movie we talked about last week also has a reputation for being a very strong home rental for very different reasons. Very different reasons. (laughs) 
Um, this was Morgan Freeman's first time narrating a movie, thus, by his own admission, jump-starting that element of his career, which raised his popularity even further. Unusually, the narration was recorded before filming began and was then played on set to dictate the rhythm of each scene. Freeman recorded the guide track in an Iowa recording studio in only 40 minutes. However, there was a minor hiss to the track, which sound engineers in L.A. were unable to eradicate. Consequently, it had to be re-recorded in a proper studio, and this time it took three weeks. That's kind of baffling to me, honestly, how they could nail it the first time. Yep. But there'd be a sound problem, and then they require three weeks to re-record. Clancy Brown said that he received several offers from real-life corrections officers to work with him in order to make his betrayal of Captain Hadley more realistic. He turned them all down because Hadley was an evil character, and he didn't want to misrepresent real corrections officers. Fair. I like that. Um, as of July 23rd, 2016, the White Oak featured near the end of the movie has fallen down uh, due to strong winds. The oak had survived a lightning strike that occurred on July 29th, 2011. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Piece of history gone. According to Bob Gutton, who plays Warden Norton, the film is so popular in terms of TV screenings and downloads, he has earned nearly $100,000 in residuals every year. That's a cute little payout. Yeah. We love that. And he's only third build. Yeah. So Robbins and uh, Morgan are making some sweet bank. Um, we were just talking about this. Uh, Frank Darabont preferred to end the film with Red searching for Andy. In fact, if he had been allowed to shoot the ending as he wanted, the closing shot would have been Red on the bus heading for the field. Darabont wanted to end on an open, ambiguous note, but Castle Rock insisted on a reunion between the two to please audiences. So instead of showing us a teary reunion, the film observes it from a distance, Darabont's response to Castle Rock's demands. <laughs> All right. I got some casting for you. There's some tasty treats in here. Lay it on me. All right. First up, Rob Reiner loved Frank Darabont's script so much he offered him $2.5 million for the rights to the script. So he could direct it. Yeah, but Rob Reiner wouldn't have done nearly as, as tasteful a job. Do you want to know who he had in mind for the two leads? Yeah. Playing Andy, Tom Cruise. Mm, I mean, knowing what we know now about Tom Cruise and the way his career went, I think Tim Robbins is a fine choice. As Red? Harrison Ford. Yeah. Yeah, I can get on board with that. James Cromwell was considered for the role of Warden Sam Norton. Ah, James Cromwell of Babe fame. James Warden who James Cromwell who played the Warden in Green Mile. Indeed. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the role of Tommy Williams was intended for Brad Pitt. Yeah, he would have done great, obviously. Yes. Obviously, he would have. Um, but he instead went and played uh, the lead role in Interview with the Vampire. Gotcha. God, that would have been really good, though, hey? Oh, yeah. yeah. I would have been on board with that big time. All right. Here are some people that were considered for the role of Red. Robert Duvall. Okay. Clint Eastwood. Yep. Paul Newman. Mm. 
Gene Hackman, and Robert Redford. It's funny. Probably my least favorite actor of those four, but probably the one I would pick would be Clint Eastwood. I think Clint Eastwood would have would have done a really good job in that role. I wouldn't replace him uh, with more. I wouldn't replace Morgan Freeman with him. Yeah. But I think Clint Eastwood would have done a really good job in that role. All right, here are the people that were up for or considered for Andy. Charlie Sheen. Nope. Johnny Depp. Mm, imagine the different path Johnny Depp's career could have taken if he was cast in that role. Mm-hmm. Matthew Broderick. Okay. Nicholas Cage. Wow. Now, this is pre- Crazy Nicolas Cage. Yeah, before everything had to be yes. 110% over the top. So he actually probably would have been pretty good. Yeah, I believe that. Plus there's the added layer of his name also being Cage and mm-hmm. that, that whole thing. Jeff Bridges. That feels weird. I don't know how I feel about that. Kevin Costner. <laughs> how excited were you to read that? Not excited. Really? But, yeah. For this reason, Kevin Costner, this is going to sound super shitty. Kevin Costner, he's a little too, he's a little too powerful, a little too macho. A little too magnetic. Yeah. I'd have a hard time thinking of him being somebody who's like a wallflower. Mm -hmm. And I have a hard, not that he couldn't do it, but I have a hard time him I, I can't find the right way to like word it. separating him from his confidence basically i have or a hard time image i have a hard time believing that he would be raped all right okay he's always the hero in his movies oh i see yeah that that sort of that hero that action hero yeah uh persona yeah is difficult to shed he he i off the top of my head, I can't think of many times where he's been very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Or he's and, been victimized in any sort of way. Yeah. And so that, for me, trying to picture Kevin Costner in that scene getting beat down, like in the first attempted rape scene, mm. I have a hard time picturing it. I mean, I mean, the first example that comes to mind, it's not at all the same thing, but he almost dies right at the beginning of Waterworld, where he's, uh, he's caged. Yeah, but he's caged. Yeah. I, I I don't know. It's just, it's so rare for him to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. He, I have a hard time seeing him playing a victim. I, I can see your objection and I, I think it's a valid one. His, he has this, this macho action hero persona. But it's where- not, it's, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's not like, it's not at the same levels like Stallone and Schwarzenegger. No. Like, Right, he's not th- he's not that macho, but he's just I I he's I, also he's also too charming. I yes. think not that he wouldn't be able to play shy, but he's way too charming. He's so charming. He would not. I don't think he'd be able to sufficiently turn it off. Yeah, I agree. He'd be able to tone it down, but I don't think he could turn it off. Uh, a modern day comparison I could give, who's someone I would love to see in this role, but I can't see him doing it. George Clooney. Yeah. Yeah. Too charming. Mm-hmm. Right? And I have one more. Okay. For Andy? Yeah. 
It's Tom Hanks. Who naturally would have done a bang-up job. If there's maybe... I know it's your second favorite movie, Manny, but if there's one casting change that, in a dream recast of the movie... Yeah, Tom Hanks has Andy Dufresne. That's my pick. Do you know what I would have a hard time with with Tom Hanks in this movie? Hmm. Seeing him get raped. Yeah. You don't give a shit about Tim Robbins? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. But Amer- America's dad getting raped? It's rough. Yeah. It's rough. It's not fun. All right. Favorite quote? This is going to be a long section. All right. Here we go. Who's, who's batting leadoff? Uh, do I know I'm going to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let's go. I, Manny, I have 11, so so buckle up. All right. I'm going to go try to go quick. I'm not going to read some of the long ones. Number one, Captain Hadley. I'm not going to count to three. I'm not even going to count to one. You will shut the fuck up or I will sing you a lullaby. Number two uh, is that you're going to fit right in. Everyone here is innocent. You know that? Hey, Wood, what are you in here for? Didn't do it. Lawyer fucked me. <laughs> uh, why do they call you Red. Maybe it's because I'm Irish. Uh, number four, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you, you, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. And then there's some dialogue, and he continues, Goddamn right. They send you here for life, and that's exactly what they take. The part that counts anyway. Love it. I had that all as one. Yeah. It's in the same scene. Uh, number five is the entire Brooks monologue, but in particular, the line, The world went and got itself in a big damn hurry. Uh, number six, that's the beauty of music. They can't get that from you. Naturally, I love that one. Of course you do. Uh, uh, number, I think it's seven. Funny thing is, on the outside, I was an honest man, straight as an arrow. Had to come to prison to be a crook. Yep. Number eight, you know what the Mexicans say about the Pacific? That it has no memory. That's where I want to live out the rest of my days. A warm place with no memory. Uh, number, what is this, nine? Get busy living or get busy dying. Nice. Number 10. Hold on. The get busy living or get busy dying, are you quoting Andy or Red? I am quoting Red simply because Morgan Freeman's voice. Okay. Just checking. Okay. <laughs> uh, number 10. Hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. If I was to summarize the just the theme of the movie, that's it. Boom, right there. Number 11. Last but not least. Um... Sometimes it makes me sad, though, Andy being gone. I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright, and when they fly away, the part of you that knows it was a sin to lock them up does rejoice. But still, the place in, the place you live in is that much more drab and empty that they're gone. I guess I just miss my friend. <gasps> Morgan Freeman. Manny, right. uh, we actually don't have a, a lot of crossover. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's a lot of good lines in this movie. Um, there is some, so I'll start with some of them. Um, it is Andy. Uh, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things and no good thing ever dies. Uh, same thing again with Andy. Uh, funny thing is on the outside, I was an honest man, straight as an arrow. I had to come to prison to be a crook. Um, red. This one's a little long. I have no idea to this day who those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a great place dares to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, 
every last man in Shawshank felt free. Yeah, that's a good one. Again, red. I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement only a free man can feel. A free man at the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. <laughs> I almost cried. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. You got into that. Thank you. Um, red again. Andy crawled to freedom through 500 yards of shit-smelling foulness I can't even imagine. Or maybe I just don't want to. <laughs> Number six is from Brooks. Easy peasy. Japanesey. <laughs> Number seven is from Warden. I believe in two things, discipline and the Bible. Here, you'll receive both. Put your trust in the Lord. Your ass belongs to me. Welcome to Shawshank. <laughs> Number eight is from Red. Get busy living or get busy dying. That's goddamn right. <laughs> Number nine is from the Captain Hadley. What is your malfunction, you fat barrel of monkey spunk? <laughs> and number 10 is from the captain as well. If I hear so much as a mouse fart in here the rest of the night, I swear by God and sonny Jesus, you will all visit the infirmary. Every last motherfucker in here. Those are my quotes. Sam? What did you pick? as your favorite quote that is a, a really tough call obviously there's so many damn good lines um i think my, my instinct leads me to go thematic so i'm just gonna go with hope is a good thing maybe the best of things and no good thing ever dies that's my pick okay i'm having a hard time picking between two and so i'm gonna go not with the one, probably the, the most famous quote, my choices are get busy living or get busy dying. But I am going to go with the last monologue in, in the movie. His, I hope I can make it across the bar. I hope to see my friend shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is blue. I hope. Yeah, I, I was between the one that I picked and the prior part of that monologue, mm -hmm. the one where he says he misses his friend. All right. Favorite scene? I narrowed it to six. I'm pretty happy with myself. Okay, I got eight. Nice. Uh, I'll go first here since you went first in the quotes. Sure. I've got the roof scene, the, 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 the fixing of the roof. I have uh, Andy and Red after the two months in the hole. So this is where he talks about uh, the nail, nail. Yep. And, the, and the tree. Um, Red's parole monologue. Uh, Red's freedom and his trip to Mexico. The escape flashback. And the opera record player scene. Okay. Uh, I, as mentioned, have eight. I have number one, Andy meeting Red and asking him for a rock hammer. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, uh, what I have called just suds on the roof. Nice. Uh, number three, Brooks was here. Oh. 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 Did you not have Brooks was here in there? I no. thought I meant. Oh, man. Fuck me. Rough one. Uh, number four, uh, Andy receives his books from the state senate and then plays the opera song. Mm -hmm. That's all one scene. Uh, five, Tommy's death. Six, uh, the Zihuatanejo discussion uh, after the hole. Uh, number seven, Andy's escape. And uh, number eight, Red's uh, parole hearing, his final one. Mm -hmm. 
I have chosen the opera record player scene as my favorite scene in a film. Brooks was here, baby. Brooks was here. All right, closing credits. It's going to take some time. Yep. Are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? We had one nominated performance from Morgan Freeman. Undeniably Oscar-worthy, I think. I don't think there's any debate about Morgan Freeman uh, and his performance in this movie. Uh, I'm trying to think who wound up winning. Was it Tom Hanks? Yeah. Yeah, Tom Hanks wound up winning for uh, for Forrest Gump. I'm gonna. I'm. I don't want to cut you off, but I just did because I'm a dick. Yes. I'm <laughs> looking forward to revisiting Forrest Gump mm-hmm. because I can tell you right now, in my mind, I still think that Morgan Freeman should have won. If you're asking me in terms of a homer pick, um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Forrest Gump was one of the first movies that I called my favorite. Mm-hmm. It was my favorite movie for a long time when I was in my early teens. Uh, it's since fallen down the ranks, but it's still in the, in the top you, 20. It made you 20? Yeah, it made it into the top 20. I think it was number 11, if I recall correctly. Interesting. Um, so Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump is definitely a homer pick for me, and it is a really good performance, but I'll be damned if Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption um, isn't one of the best performances I've seen in any movie ever. So I, it, it's a tough call. As far as the nomination is concerned, 100% worth. Not not even debatable if it's worth it. Um, anybody else? I mean, I could get on board with like a supporting uh, actor nom for um for the for the uh, Bob Gunn. Yeah, for, for, the, for the warden. I can, I can get on board with that. Me too. That would be the only other one that I feel strongly about. I think. Okay, so in best supporting actor, we have Martin Lando wins for Ed Wood. Haven't seen it. No. Okay. Uh, Samuel Jackson for Pulp Fiction. Okay. Uh, Chaz Palminteri for Bullets Over Broadway. Nope, haven't seen it. Paul Schofield for Quiz Show. We haven't watched that yet. Not yet. And Gary Sinise for Forrest Gump. So I've seen four of the five performances. I've seen two. I've seen Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump. Okay. So I'm really looking forward to also rewatching Ed Wood because I remember at I in my mind I thought there was no way that Samuel L. Jackson was going to lose. Mm. Because I think that, that in my opinion, is hands down his greatest performance. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the greatest performances. So when he lost, I was devastated. Yeah. So since I haven't seen Chaz Palminteri performance in Bolts Over Broadway, I'm going to kick him out and put Bob Gutton in for now. Fine. I'm going to be watching Bolts Over Broadway very soon. I, I don't remember Paul Schofield in quiz show so I'll, I'll have to hold off on that but i cannot take out martin landau samuel L. jackson or gary sinise over Mm-mm. bob gutton at, at this time no so other than that i don't think the acting outside of morgan freeman is what makes this movie great in my opinion like that's not me saying that the acting outside of him is bad mm-hmm. it's just if you take away the best performance in the movie, which sounds kind of silly now that I'm saying it, but it's the acting is not what makes Shawshank Redemption great, even though it does have an excellent performance in it. Agreed. Agreed. Which is weird. Yeah. This movie is really good despite it not having, with only having one spectacular performance. Yeah. In the scene. Um, what other aspects of the film are award worthy? I mean, it was nominated for basically everything. It's actually missing 
an important one. Score? Or, no. It got nominated for score. Okay. No. The um, art direction. Oh, yeah. A lot of people think that they just found this prison and just filmed it. They had to completely rebuild it. And so I think it gets undersold on how great this is. Also, I mean, location scouting is also part of art direction, right? Like, even if, like, let's say they did just find this prison, finding it and dressing it up is, is part of art direction. Yeah. I can see, like, the five films that were up are pretty impressive for their art decoration. Uh, Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction. Nope. No Pulp Fiction? Yes, no. So, yes, Forrest Gump, no Pulp Fiction. Correct. Not surprising. Not really. I mean, I think of the 50s diner in Pulp Fiction. Fair enough. <laughs> That's the highlight. Yeah, as far as the art direction is concerned. Yeah. Yes. No. Yeah. Uh, the Madness of King George wins. Okay. Period piece. Okay. Mad- oh, fucking Oscars and their art direction period pieces. Uh, Bullets Over Broadway. Don't know it. Another, another period piece. It's set in the 20s, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Forrest Gump. Yep. Legends of the Fall. Okay. Which yeah. I'm going to be watching. Yeah. Uh, you'll see Worth It. Yeah. And Interview with the Vampire, again. Which I'm also going to be watching. Yeah, again, worth it. So uh, I think that's one place that it could get. Um, the costume design, I don't know. It's, it's. I mean, it's authentic, but it's nothing Yeah. ridiculous. No. Nothing crazy. Yeah. So I think all the places that it got nominated are worthy. So I don't think it. I don't think it's missing out on anything. Um, weak link of the film. Tim Robbins. Wow, nice pick. <laughs> I I hate to say it because he's not he's not bad. No. He's, yeah. Uh, I actually mentioned that there was a part that I would cut out. Yeah. I would actually cut out um, Tommy's GED section. It's not Ooh. really not really needed. Yeah, it doesn't really drive the plot forward no. all that much. Weak link of the film, Tim Robbins. And that's that's by default. That's not supposed to be an indictment on Tim Robbins because I don't think he's bad. He's just not. He he's just has the unfortunate task of facing up against Morgan Freeman in his arguably greatest performance. All right, I think I'm gonna have to agree with that. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this anyone's career highlight? Uh, definitely Tim Robbins. Yeah. The answer to the question "Who is Tim Robbins?" is the guy from Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Um, Morgan. Even, even- even though he wins an Oscar for Mystic River. Oh yeah, that's a great performance. Manny, who's Tim Robbins? <laughs> He's the guy from Shawshank. He's the guy from Shawshank Redemption. That's for me. That's the end all be all. Morgan Freeman, arguably. 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 Uh, seven. Uh, I know. I always have it in my head that he won for Driving Miss Daisy, but he didn't, did he? No. He's only one for Million Dollar Baby. Which I also don't think is his career highlight. No, it's not. Right? He's the guy from Shawshank Redemption. He's the other guy from Shawshank Redemption. I, I think in talking this over out loud just now, I think this is Morgan career- or Morgan Freeman's career highlight, personally. I was about to say, I know you have a soft spot for seven, but then I remember this is your second favorite movie of all time. I think this is his career highlight. I think it is. Um, Frank Darabont? Yep, because all he has besides this is Green Mile and The Mist. 
And I, The Walking Dead? Yeah, I was about to say you can make a case for The Walking Dead, but I, I think if you ask, that would very much depend on the age of the person that you asked. Mm-hmm. People around my age are probably going to say Walking Dead, but those people are wrong. It's Shawshank Redemption. Deacons. Oh, fuck. Uh, no, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, no, you know what? Um, for all of the great things of this movie, and the cinematography is certainly one of them, uh, it's not the best part of this movie. Like The best part of this movie is just that it gives me the warm and fuzzies, I guess, if I'm to narrow it down to one thing. Deacon's... Um, we kind of alluded to this, but for those who don't know, Roger Deakins, the cinematographer for Shawshank Redemption, uh, this nomination that he got was the first of, I think, 13 yeah. consecutive nominations without a win. Yeah, He got nominated for Best Cinematography by the Oscars 13 times without a win. He would not go on to win until... Uh, which movie was that he won? Was it Blade Runner? 2049. Yeah, yeah. it was Blade Runner 2049 back in 2019. 18? 2018? 17? Was it that long ago? Fuck. Yeah, uh, 2017. And then he won again for uh, 1917. Yes. You know what? Uh, again, talking this out loud, arguably, arguably, and I'm sure we could argue this, I'd say 1917 would be Roger Deakins' career highlight. That is a technical achievement, and he won an Oscar for it. Um, I think, and his, the cinematography is the highlight of that movie. I agree. So my pick for Deacons is 1917 instead of Shawshank. Stephen King adaptations. Yes. I feel pretty safe about that. What are the other great Stephen King adaptations? I mean, there's two by Frank Darabont besides this one, uh, the Green Mile and the Mister, both Stephen King adaptations. Neither of them are as good as this one. Stand by me. Nope. Misery. Nope. Pet Cemetery. Haven't seen it, but nope. It. No. Right. Neither it. <laughs> Neither the TV movie from the 80s nor the uh, remake in 2016, 17, whatever. No, no higher. Know. 18 and 19, I think. I was in Kamloops when I watched that. The first one? Yeah. All right. Must have been 2017 or... 18. Well, that would have been a Halloween release, right? Mm. If that was released in October... Then it must have been. It couldn't have been 2018 because I watched it in Kamloops and I was already living in Cam in uh, Calgary back then. Right. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I'm convinced of. I, I might right. look it up later and discover that I have misremembered this. But cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh. I guess those are the major players. Yeah. MVP of the film. I mean, I, I already said that Morgan Freeman. The acting is not the best thing about this movie. Except him. Yeah, except him. So, I, Morgan Freeman. I agree. It's, yeah. Mo- it's Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. Yeah. The, this movie is not what it is without him in it. That's true. You put any of those other people, that we, you even put Clint Eastwood, you put anybody else mm-hmm. in that role, even with that voiceover, this movie does, is not what it is today. Yeah, it's not the same. Yeah. What will be this film's legacy? The second best movie of 1994. <laughs> um, the legacy of Shawshank Redemption is going to be that, I guess, kind of a sleeper. Kind of one that audiences did not see when it came out. And it has... I wouldn't go so far as to call it a 
cult classic? No, it's not a cult classic. Uh, I feel like there's sort of a negative connotation in the cult, class- cult classic phrase as well. Uh, this is a movie that was not discovered until after its release, I guess. This movie is similar in ways of Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. People didn't realize... The viewing public didn't realize the incredible nature of this film until later. Now, not as far later as Citizen Kane, but this movie has just continued to grow in stature as time has gone by as more and more people have discovered it. That's its legacy. Its legacy is that this is going to be con- this is is considered one of the greatest movies of all time. That's its legacy. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, that's fine. Would you watch this movie again? Hell yeah. <laughs> if if we shut off this podcast and I didn't have to work tomorrow and you were like, want to watch Shawshank Redemption again? I'd be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you recommend this movie to friends? This is one of those rare instances where I think I would almost recommend this to anyone. I think I would recommend this movie to literally any human being. I would recommend this movie to anybody. Yeah. And I, if I find out somebody if i'm just talking to somebody and i talk about shawshank and i re- and i find out that they haven't watched it i beg them to watch it as soon as humanly possible beg them like i can't stress it enough and i tell them that i'm like you have no idea what you're missing i'm begging you to watch this movie at the very first opportunity i want everybody to see this movie sam your final thoughts on the shawshank redemption One of the best things about the Shawshank Redemption is that it is a shameless, unapologetic movie that advocates for hope. It advocates for optimism and for hope, even in the most hopelessness, or even in the most hopeless of situations. It's a movie that fills me with the warm and fuzzies. It is an emotional roller coaster. You experience the highest of highs and the most triumphant moments possible you also see the darkest things that humankind is possible is uh, capable of you experience through the eyes of red and andy you you experience both the most elation you possibly can and the darkest things you possibly can uh it's a movie that i will continue to rewatch for years and years and years it is a movie that is helmed by a breathtaking performance by Morgan Freeman in the highlight of his career, which we have established firmly. Um, it's a movie with a number of iconic moments, which are going to permeate through cinema and endure as some of the most iconic moments that have ever hit the big screen. And it is just a movie that Manny and I have been pumped to talk about for a long time and i'm glad the opportunity finally presented itself what a year 1994 where this movie did not win best picture and it wasn't even the biggest deal because of another movie that didn't win best picture (laughs) (laughs) that's shawshank redemption manny this is my second favorite movie of all time this movie is i've told people i think it's a perfect film now, I nitpicked a lot of stuff, which when I say it's a perfect film doesn't mean that it literally is a perfect film. What I mean is that there's not a lot that you can dislike about this film. It is incredibly entertaining. 
it tells an incredibly beautiful story about hope, about friendship, about persevering through the worst of times and never losing sight of what you dream. I love this film. Sometimes I watch it and I cry. Sometimes I watch it and I don't. All I know is that I like to watch this movie. It fills my heart with joy, and it does. It fills my heart with hope. I've said numerous times in other podcasts that movies about male bonding and male friendship truly resonate with me because of how lucky I am in my life with the male friends that I have. And this movie is just one of the many, but this is uh, uh, one of the best ever made. This movie is technically brilliant and, like you said, is anchored by a career-defining performance by Morgan Freeman. I love this movie. I cannot recommend it enough. Shawshank. This should come as no surprise. We are now at the ratings part of this movie. I, I'll i go first. It's a five. I'll go second. It's a five. Shocker. <laughs> I... Uh, I want to also add this movie was on the uh the short list for when we were doing our top 20s um this this was on the short list early on but it was also an early cut because i had only seen it about three times at that mm -hmm. point as i begin to watch it more and more we can start to reevaluate maybe if it has a spot <laughs> on the list because it really is that good interesting uh all right sam what we got going on next week for part five of our 1994 retrospective? Speaking of emotional roller coasters, <laughs> we have gone from last week, the worst picture of the year, to this week, the second best picture of the year, to next week, whatever you want to think about Dumb and Dumber. Now, this is the second time we have teased this episode. Yeah. This time, it's really going to happen. 100%. Next week, we are doing Dumb and Dumber, no matter what. No matter what. Is my understanding. No matter what. We're planning on having Kyle and T-Bone on. Yep. It's going to be a blast. We're going to have past and future guest uh, Sean T-Bone Thompson join us. And a new person, my uh, one of my other best friends, Kyle Graham, will be joining us for the first time. Uh, at least that's what they said. They've canceled once before. We shuffled things around to accommodate these prima donnas. <laughs> and so let's see if they follow through on their word to meet us next Wednesday to record <sighs> Dumb and Dumber. You sure know how to pick your friends, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> and movies to review, apparently. Well, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes if you give us a five-star review and a positive review. It will increase the profile of our podcast, allow more people to find us, which we would definitely ap appreciate. If you have like a spare 30 seconds, if you could just give us that positive review, we would so truly appreciate We would like to grow our audience without us having to do any work whatsoever. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can follow us at Facebook at the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. And you can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. So, the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Get busy living or get busy dying. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios. <laughs>